Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. This is number 50. So it's a very special episode for us. And we were very happy to hear uh, when we got the word that Steve Maxwell was going to be our third international guest. Steve Maxwell is a walking library if it goes about fitness, uh, jiu-jitsu, strength and conditioning training, uh, everything about health. Um, and wow, we had a blast in this podcast. Uh, we've been talking about well, a lot of subjects for about two hours and, uh, you know, ranging from fasting to strength and conditioning training with kettlebells, his jiu-jitsu journey, which started with the Gracie family uh, back in the early days and, you know, just everything about life. And it's been a huge pile of information that just sunk into my head and I still need to process it. So I'm really happy that Steve Maxwell was here in the studio. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as well. Please visit our sponsor, Nutrafit.com. It's your place where you can buy supplements like Onnit, Natural Stacks, Pure Pharma, and Bulletproof. Um, well, we, we ship to everywhere in Europe, and we have a money-back guarantee. So buy the products, try them out. If you don't like them, you can send them back. No problem, we'll refund your money. So enjoy the podcast, guys. This podcast is sponsored by Nutrofit official distributor of Onnit supplements in the Benelux and powerful supplier of Bulletproof and Natural Stacks. Your online place to buy supplements and training gear that will help you achieve total human optimization. Try with no risk with our Nutrofit money-back guarantee. Shipping all across Europe within 24 hours. Find us at www.nutrofit.com. It's <laughs> the first time. Okay, so um, this is a special podcast, man. Yep. This is number 50. So Big five uh, zero. We came a long, long way. I didn't expect us to come this far, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, I did expect, actually. Well, I dreamed about it a little. Yeah. It actually happened. So um, when did you first saw our guest today? When, um, did you, when was the first time you uh, came on your vision? I'm, I'm afraid to tell because... Um, I know he could beat me on a one-to-one, but um, I kind of pirated his DVD on kettlebell training. Mm. And uh, that was a, a big step forward for me in my strength and conditioning training because that really opened my eyes to the ability of what, well, basically a bowling ball with a, you know, a head bar could do. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the first time I, uh, I saw this person. Yeah, I got, um, you, uh, you got my attention on a Joe Rogan show who was... Um Promoting your DVDs about kettlebells. And um, yeah, today in the studio we have uh, Steve Maxwell. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for being here. And uh, you're a strength and conditioning le- or legend, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe have, maybe in my own mind. But <laughs> I'm mo- and a lot of people are mine. And uh, you've been around the world and um, you've done a lot of stuff. You've been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for ages. You've been res- wrestling. Uh, you have a third degree black belt? Fifth. Fifth. Wow. Nice. All right. I've been a black belt since uh, 2000. 
That's a long from, time. You were from uh, the early days. From Elio Gracie's second son, Helson. And you were the first one in America, right? Not the first. Uh, there was a couple of guys that got uh, belts from the Machado brothers. Mm-hmm. But I was the first, as, as far as I know, directly from the Gracie family in the U.S. That's a privilege to be proud of. Hells and Gracie's definitely first American, so I was pretty happy about that. Are you still in touch with the Gracie's or with Helsing? Uh Yeah, uh, not so much with Helsin. There was a bit of a falling out, as oftentimes happens in the martial mm. uh, martial arts world. Um, but yeah, I still am in touch. Cool, and and I still promote Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. The main difference between Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu isn't the holes of the techniques. Mm-hmm. It's the teaching style and the educational system. It's a way of teaching jiu-jitsu, and that was invented by Grandmaster Elio Gracie. It's a way that you take a beginner and you take him through the, the technique and the methods. Yeah. And there's a few people still teaching this. Uh, obviously, the grandsons, you know, Hender and uh, Hiram and Halleck, mm-hmm. they're doing a fantastic job out there. They're still teaching in the old school way. Uh, the Valenci brothers in North Miami Beach. They yeah. were the uh, Pedro Valenci was the last guy to directly get his black belt from Master Elia. Uh, Hickson has his own curriculum, but it's based on the work of his father, Hoist Gracie, obviously. Uh, Pedro Sauer, they're still very much into the system. Uh, Luis Heredia, uh, aka Limon in mm-hmm. Maui, teaches old Gracie Jiu Jitsu style. He was Hicks and Gracie's first black belt. So there are bits and uh, pieces around the world where they're still teaching this particular educational system. And the other differentiation is there's a big emphasis on the stand-up self-defense. It's something that's been lost to the sportive style of jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Now, when people think of jiu-jitsu, they just think about going to the half guard or Baron Bolo. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's all fun game, you know? I mean, for sure. It's fun to play that game. But... You know, when it comes to stand-up self-defense, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system is very complete. Gun mm-hmm. defense, knife defense, uh, weapon retention system for police guys, you know, taking away a, a shotgun or, a, you know, an AK-47 point in your face. All that stuff was there. Yeah. Every kind of grab, imaginable, you know, attacks from behind, rear chokes, all the escapes mm-hmm. while standing. And they, Master Elio was huge on... on uh, making sure that people knew that he didn't feel you could call yourself a a jiu-jitsu person until you mastered those techniques so at every level in a blue purple brown you had to know so many of the self-defense techniques and you know now that i'm in my 60s i'll be 64 in a couple months that's the thing that stays with you that's yeah. the thing that stays with you self-defense you know i can't compete against young guys anymore i mean i still get in the ground and you know roll around with some of the guys my size and so forth, I like to roll with the girls, you know. Yeah, it's always fun. But if I see you, if I see you on YouTube, I mean, you're <laughs> doing uh, chin-ups and I see all these kinds of exercises, and you see videos of Steve Maxwell, 60 years old, <laughs> and all these doing crazy shit. So you're probably more, you're fitter than most young people, probably. Well, yeah, maybe nowadays. <laughs> It's yeah, a, it's a it's you a sad a it's a, it's a sad thing, you know. Yeah, what's what's happening to the youth of the world, particularly the youth of Americans? Well, at the moment that that we're recording this, there's actually a change happening. I think every obese kid right now is walking his legs off. Everybody's playing Pokemon Go. I don't know if you heard about this. <laughs> mm. It's a great yeah. movement towards uh, getting inactive people to get off the couch. <laughs> 
Yeah. Someone, but I know what you're getting at. It, they're they're um, mainly very inactive and sedentary. Someone made a funny joke that uh, Pokemon Go did more for youth fitness in six months than Michelle Obama did in like the whole four years that they had that that whole, you know, that whole move, get up and move type campaign in the United States. Mm. So I can imagine. Sometimes yeah. it takes. It's all some, about the packaging, I guess. All about the packaging, man. Yep, marketing. Mm, cool. It works. Um, but um, the street defense uh, you talked about, because you said, well, when I roll with, um, you know, uh, the strong young guys right now, is that something that's actually applicable there? There are self-defense techniques that you can use in ground rolling that you wouldn't normally apply that you can use to outsmart these guys? Or is it just because, you know, if you get in a situation, it's just no, it's more defense. of a situation. Yeah. We're, we're talking about some serious stuff that would cause some you know, good, some damage. Mm. So that's something that you could just do. When, yeah. when, when training a lot of kicking a lot of up kicks a lot of using your feet mm. against someone's head or face from the ground but you have to specifically be taught how to do it pretty much like you know like uh, a girl would fight yeah <laughs> fight like a girl you know smart fighting yeah, yeah. well i mean uh do you have kids no have i you don't okay good keep it that way man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh this is interesting we need to talk about this a little more but, why uh, would you say thing like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, listen, the, uh, if you've ever had the, uh, uh, the experience of trying to diaper a struggling, kicking, flailing baby, yeah. and it's really hard sometimes, you know, like a really active little child, mm -hmm. like a toddler. Now imagine a full-grown person, you know, kicking like in the same way. It'd be pretty hard to do anything to that person. Yep. So the Gracie self-defense, you know, uh, I'm past the age where I can beat anybody up, you know, mm. maybe another little old guy. But someone can't beat me up. Even a very big, strong guy would find it greatly difficult to beat me up. You can mm. defend. I couldn't beat him up. Uh, you know, I can't beat anybody up. Yeah, you but know? you're able to defend. But I could defend. It's a, lot of, it's a way different way of thinking mm. to defend yourself, to preserve your life and your limbs against a bigger, stronger adversary. That's what the great jujitsu self-defense can do for you. And it's especially good for, for women and children, Yeah, uh, women in particular. You saw all the headlines of the attacks on the women in Germany, like in Cologne, and made you know news all over Europe. Mm. Uh, but a lot of this stuff is going on in, in various places, and uh, the, the this type of self-defense, uh, I I believe personally, every child, uh, woman, and girl should should know this. Yeah, and it's very good for oldsters like myself. Could you go into citizens. some uh, key points, for example, for uh, that every uh, women should know in regard to self-defense? I saw a choke on Facebook, uh, a choke from the guard, uh, these last couple of days on social media, which was uh, the one choke every girl should know, which is a, a choke from the guard with a T-shirt, where you basically uh, use someone's shirt for a, as a collar choke. Sure. And uh, uh, the idea was that if you get in a situation where you get assaulted, it's probably likely that you end up on the back in a guard and you can pretty much used to choke in any situation. So that was a pointer for every girl should know this one. If you look at that uh, from the Gracie self-defense point of view, what are pointers that you teach people that everyone should know when it comes to self-defense? Well, every fight starts standing up. So it's one thing on the ground, but it's another thing standing up. And most jiu-jitsu schools don't even teach the throws or takedowns anymore. Mm. I came from a background of NCAA Division I wrestling. That's a very high level of wrestling in the U.S. And I was a pretty decent wrestler uh, in, in the day. It's back in the uh, 60s and 70s. And um, so I had a good background with 
base and balance and takedowns and so forth. And I found wrestling worked quite well, even against judo guys, you know, mm-hmm. un- under jujitsu style rules. But most guys don't get that anymore. They don't even know what to do from their feet. Usually mm-hmm. they just try to pull the guy in their guard and get 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 the fight going. So every fight starts standing up. And I'll show you how, I'll tell you how effective Gracie jujitsu stand up self-defense. My ex-wife, DC Maxwell, was the first woman to become certified by the Gracie family to teach the women self-defense. In those days, it was called rape safe. Hmm. Now it's called women empowered. I guess the, you know that yeah. word rape is an ugly word. So it's not very marketing. Yeah, women yeah. empowered. It's a better mm. sound. <laughs> anyway, after she had taken that course, one day she says, "Hey, try to grab me. We're in the kitchen, and uh, you know." Uh, I had many years of wrestling. I was already like a brown belt in jiu-jitsu by this point. I think maybe she was still a blue belt or maybe a purple. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But anyway, I tried to literally grab her and force her into position down. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I would have had to resort to professional level takedowns, which the average rapist or street thug wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. You know, So I was trying to act like a layman, like a typical thug. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. And she was maybe 118 pounds. I had like 175 pounds. I could not force this smaller, weaker individual, in this case my wife, Mm -hmm. down. I couldn't do it, not without resorting to, you know, like I say, you know, cheating with excessive violence. Well, I mean, even trying to punch or kick some of the things she was doing, I would have hurt my hands and her elbows and her head. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's very, very effective. It's quite good. And it's all about the escape, not fighting, getting away. Yeah. Breaking away and escaping, which is what I would do too. Keep moving. Every animal in the animal kingdom will run from another predator if possible. The most powerful predator in the North American continent is the grizzly bear or the Kodiak bear. Mm. Yet they'll run from dogs if they have a chance because they know in nature if you get injured, you can't hunt. Now you're screwed. So, you know, most even predatory animals will run from other animals. And only during mating season do they... Yeah. What, what they fight but usually it's never, it's never to the death but only humans are stupid enough to stand there against overwhelming odds and try to fight you know because it's of, the ego it's pride e- ego mind <laughs> i so, can do this <laughs> believe me i'm not above running i mean truthfully the best self-defense is just practice your sprints once or twice a week yeah. isn't that what they teach at Krav maga you just uh, basically the ending is always the same kick to the nuts run away well, it's not a bad idea. So we, we call it in jiu-jitsu stun and run. Yeah, it sounds a solid. A quick stun, it could be a smack to the face or a, a palm heel to the nose and just get the heck out of there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially when you go into, I mean, you were talking about um, taking somebody's uh, shotgun out of his hands and stuff. You know, there's a situation you want to prevent anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, you hopefully, know, even, even, yeah. even knife battles, you know, there's like no way to get out of a knife battle with it. Uh, if the know. guy knows what he's doing with the knife, you're pretty much stabbed. You're going yeah. to see some blood. Yeah. But jiu-jitsu does give you a very good chance of surviving if there's just no other way out. Mm. You know, usually you would get something longer than the weapon, you know, than the knife. Yeah. Anything, your belt, your shoe on your hand, your jacket, you know, but... Let's hope that uh, we all have karma that's good enough not to lead us into these negative, yeah, well, violent, I was violent can situations. I, can I? I want to ask you because you were just talking about weapons and stuff, and like you know, AK-47s. We live here in the Netherlands. We don't have AK-47s nope. here, man, and shotguns are very limited. You know, 
Some criminals uh, have, you know, yeah, but you have. don't run into those guys. I, I don't want to go into the numbers, but I think we have few deaths uh, by shotguns, by, by weapons and stuff. Uh, I just actually was on Facebook and like the whole CrossFit community is going um, insane about the CrossFit games. Um, they added a Glock, Glock pistol to the, um, to the prize uh, for the winners. Oh. For the CrossFit Games. Is oh. that so even legal in the Netherlands? No. No, no, no. no I mean, it's in, in America. In, oh, uh, in America. Uh, uh, everybody so, has a gun. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I, I, I just, but I see, I see the, whole Dutch, the whole Dutch community and like, we don't like weapons very much. It's like, why the fuck are they giving a Glock gun to these athletes? Why don't you give them a kettlebell or something? So what is your take on this, uh, um, you know, uh, you know uh, yeah, weapon industry in America and... Firearms. Firearms uh, issues. What's your take on that? It's never going to disappear no matter what. I think it's kind of sad because I see the gun as something, it's what fear people use, people that are afraid. Mm -hmm. And I actually owned guns for a while because, you know, I kind of was in that fear mentality and I realized, wow, if you have the weapon, you're going to visualize yourself using it. You can't help it, mm -hmm. right? If you have a gun, you're going to at some point start imaging what it would be like to point it and shoot and kill somebody. Yep. What you image and the kind of thoughts you put are the exact situations that you attract. Mm. It's mental science or the universal law of attraction. Mm. I decided I didn't want to be that guy and I didn't want the karma, the bad karma of taking someone's life. I got rid of my guns. I just took them to a pawn shop and sold them. I didn't even argue or dicker with the guy. What do you offer? I just said, okay, fine. Give it to me. Give me yeah. the money, and you know, I was out of there like that. Yeah. And there's plenty of people that think like me, but you have to understand that America has a long history from the very earliest pioneers when they were there. You know, they, they had guns. It was like all part of the American psyche. Mm -hmm. You know, you had the Native Americans there, and there was conflict between, the, you know, the, the European settlers and the Indians, and they... You know, in those days, they, they felt like they needed the gun. A lot of these people were on very primitive frontiers. Yeah. And the gun was a protective. And it was written into the Constitution as an American right, the right to bear arms. So that longstanding history and tradition, it's going to be hard to beat. Wasn't the whole point of the, the right to bear arms? It's the Second Amendment, right? Something like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Was, wasn't the whole point of that as well to make sure that you could always overthrow your government? Yes. I think that was a part of it, right? Part of it because, you know, at that time it was a British colony and there was a lot of conflict uh, between the colonies and the, the, the British government. That, of course, spawned the whole American Revolution. Mm. So we have this long, long, long tradition. It's very deeply embedded in the American psyche. Then you have special interest groups, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, NRA. the NRA and so forth. And I don't ever see the guns going away. No. You know, and many people make the point, well, if there was more guns, there might be less gun violence. I don't know whether, whether I buy into that, but... Uh, the numbers are not really telling us. The numbers are not telling us good, good things. And then you see a nice, peaceful country like the Netherlands mm -hmm. or, you know, other places in Scandinavia, you know, mm -hmm. Norway and Sweden and Iceland where there are no guns mm -hmm. or very few guns. You know, the murder rates and, 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 and you know, the the yeah. violent crimes are, like, way, 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 way down. Yeah. And, you know, some people blame it on the drug trade, you know, but there's plenty of drugs in Europe, too. Yeah, but you just, you just don't it. You, know? you just don't see the crazy 
gun violence that you do. Yeah. Well, we're going to be that's a big uh, experiment that's going on right now because they are legalizing in America, and it's very interesting to see what that's going to do to crime rates. Mm -hmm. But I think. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it already has a noticeable effect on the crime, for example, in Mexico, where a lot of the cartels make their money from selling weed uh, over the border. And because they're yeah. legalizing, they're losing their business and their power. Because of course, then there's always the harder stuff. Yes, of course. The, the, you know, the methamphetamine is still really popular. And mm. of course, yeah. cocaine and crack is always going to be around. And, you know, that hard stuff is always going to be a, yeah. a, a major... Yeah. People want it, you know. The drug war basically failed. Yeah. You know. Because yeah. how are you? How can you make war on what people want? <laughs> mm, exactly, it sells itself, and um, yeah, it's kind of curious to uh, well, if you think about what it actually is, what what people, why people do, but they've been doing it since you know ancient times. I mean, whenever uh, alcohol, or mushrooms, whatever, as long as there's been mankind, and we've been able to you know alter our you know experiences, we have. So I don't think you can actually, no, I, f I think I agree, you can never make that go away. So the best thing would be to legalize and, you know, actually tax it so you can, or you know, control, help to build your infrastructure. Yeah, control mm. it somehow. Yeah. Make sure that at least what they're buying is what they buy. Yeah. You know, I mean, so often you get, you know. There used to be a time in Holland when you went to a house party, a big, a big rave, yeah. that you were able to go there with your amphetamines, your ecstasy, your ex, you could go there and you could say uh, to a guy there that's from an institute, is this clean? Is this okay? Is there no poison in this? And I would test it on the spot for you. This is okay. You can take this. Yeah. And then they started uh, tightening the rules again. Then they made that go away. And since then, the incidents and the deaths and the bad quality of product has returned. So in tolerating it and, as you said, regulating it, you can actually control the damage a lot yeah. that it does to, for example, the health or whatever it does to people. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, you were just talking about wild animals and about... Um, uh, fear so my head made some connections about a book that I'm reading it's called in an unspoken voice um, it's uh, written by Peter a Levine and uh, this mister is a PhD and he talks about how the body releases trauma and restores goodness so he describes an example where you drive along the road and you see a deer who will freeze in the lights of your car uh, you stop the car the deer will run away and the next thing it will do it will shake off all the bad energy or he calls it the fear and it goes on um, we people we tend to freeze up and everything will be okay and we'll be like all right cool let's continue but we don't shake it off is that something that you um, you recognize is that something you agree with absolutely uh, I first became aware of this whole concept when I was in my uh, early 20s Mm -hmm. I had my first rolfing experience. Perhaps you've heard of this body-mind technique. Rolfing? No. Rolfing. It was invented by a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Ida Rolf. She was a PhD in biochemistry. Mm -hmm. She had a son who had been uh, stricken by the great polio epidemic during the 1950s in the United States. And the boy was all twisted, and his limbs, his legs were twisted from the polio. What happens when you have polio? Uh, it's not very it common. affects the nervous system. Okay. Uh, it used to be a real big problem back in the 50s, yeah. especially in the U.S. I don't know how it was in Europe, um, but a lot of kids... And we had vaccinations for that. Yeah, well, they had yeah. vaccines, but prior to that time. Anyway, she took the child to specialist after specialist trying to get these legs straightened out, mm -hmm. and no one could help. Western medicine had no answers for this boy. 
So out of sheer frustration, she started literally molding and working his legs, working the lines of connective tissue called fascial tissue. Mm -hmm. And she got the legs straightened to the point where the guy was just a normal person with a normal walking gait, didn't need any support or braces or anything for his legs. And she fully restored functioning using this technique that she later developed into a, a what she referred to as postural integration, aka known as rolfing. And there's rolfers all over the world. It is the the people that do it are the most highly trained body workers. That you have to go to school for three years to get your rolfing, but before you're even accepted, mm-hmm. you have to have ten thousand hours of experience in body work and massage before you're even accepted into school then it's three years. So it's very intense, very extensive. It was at that point I was rolfed by that boy, that crippled boy. His name was Dick Demerley. He's still in Switzerland, still doing rolfing. He was my first rolfer. And while he was working with me, I had a lot of trauma due to old injuries in early high school wrestling. I'd injured my neck very badly, my back. Uh, I actually had a broken neck which I recovered from, but I still had a lot of scar tissue and pain every single day. How did you break it? Uh, in wrestling. I was okay. thrown off the mat under the hardwood floor. Wow. Oh. The, ne- the neck healed. I actually went on to wrestle, mm-hmm. but I never was quite the same. I was always in pain. After the rolfing, the pain was released. But he was the one that alerted me to the fact that I had this emotional trauma stored in my joints. Mm-hmm. And that every single trauma that you've ever had there's like a muscle memory that stays with you. So when you were three years old and you fell off your tricycle mm. or you were six and you fell out of the tree when you're climbing with your friends yeah. or, you know, you fell off the skateboard or whatever that stays with you. And you have a muscle negative muscle memory that stays in there. And there's like a subconscious reminder. It's a fear spike that's still in the mind that you might not even be consciously aware of Mm. and it stays Mm. you hold your body a certain way there's certain tension in the body certain the connected tissue is forever changed the rolfer gets in there and irons all that out but as he's doing it the emotions are released yeah so it sounds kind of strange but you may find yourself very sad to the point of tears maybe crying Mm. or something as this is released and terrible emotional frights also can be stored in the body as well. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of times uh, people have had a terribly traumatic emotional experience. Maybe watching a loved one die mm. or an automobile accident or watching some terrible sight when you're a child. It can have an effect even on your physical self, your body. Mm. And you're right. That energy stays in there in most humans. Yeah. And a lot of people carry that around for life. And uh, I had a very good experience with the rolfing. It got me completely out of pain. It released a lot of... Uh, some people actually find their personalities change as a result of this release of all this tension. Mm-hmm. And yeah, less pressure on the nerve system, I'd ta- imagine. Taking the connective tissue and yeah. releasing this. Yeah, I think this, this rolfing reminds me of uh, a lady that I met who actually went to New Zealand to study with Maori uh, healers. And they have... Um, their idea is that pain comes from external, goes in the body. Mm-hmm. So, but um, you have to. Re- pain comes with a, you know, with a feeling, and you have to, You can only release it with that same feeling mm-hmm. by rolfing. They do it with like these stones, like 
is really sharp. Is it like myelogenics? It's like myelogenics yeah, kind of thing. It it's sounds like, like myelogenics. Well, I don't know if myelogenics is like the general world, but it's kind of like what Kelly Starrett is doing, like getting everything loose in your joints and stuff and yeah, making sure. Because what does a raw fur do to the tissue, uh, to the muscle tissue? Does it... Um, they get in there with their fingertips, their, their fists, their elbows. It's yeah. quite uncomfortable. In yeah. some cases, exquisitely it's painful. Right. Yeah. And like you say, you're kind of going through a form of that same trauma that put it in there in the first place. Yeah. And of course, the more out of alignment you are, the more misaligned you are, mm. the greater the pain and the discomfort. Wow. So yeah. if it's just a mild thing, you know, it's a mild discomfort. Yeah. If you have extreme pain, then it's extreme discomfort. Yeah. I mean, to the point in some cases, tears. I might, I might imagine afterwards as well, uh, because uh, if you have a certain tension in a, in a specific part of your body, and the tension gets released, your your entire anatomy changes a little, and your, other stuff might start behaving differently because of the release of the tension. Your entire psyche. Yeah. You uh, and it's very important that you begin to move differently too. There's also a sister discipline that is what they call Rolf movement. It's very similar to Feldenkrais. Maybe you've heard of uh, Moshe Feldenkrais, who uh, he was an old judo guy. Before there was Krav Maga, Moshe Feldenkrais was the teacher of the Israeli Special Forces self-defense. Okay. But he was also a movement therapist. Hmm. He, he believed that the human mind knows how to move. You know, we weren't born with bad posture. We are born with good natural movement for the most part. Mm -hmm. But because of things like chair sitting, or certain traumas, you start to forget. Mm. And he developed a movement therapy that you basically relearn natural movement, natural pain-free movement. And he and Ida Rolf uh, did some work together. You know, the, the work crossed, and Rolf movement was based on that. So it's not cool. enough just to get realigned, but you also have to now become aware of the way you move. You have to relearn. And you you yeah. have to move differently, or you're just going to go back in the same. If you keep doing the same stuff, it's a pattern, you're going to go yeah. back in the same yeah. pattern, bad habits. What are common things that uh, Rolf movement might address in posture and movement? Uh, internally rotated feet or externally rotated feet. You see a lot of people walk with their feet turned out because mm -hmm. the glute. <laughs> I think I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> you. You, see, you, see it, you see it a lot with fighters, like Muay Thai guys. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Uh, you see forward head and kyphosis, uh, mostly desk jockeys. But you'll see it also with jujitsu guys and fighters. Shoulders and stuff. Yeah, your shoulders yeah. get internal rotated. Forward yeah. head, you get that big curve in your back. Yeah, that's uh, it's, Ironically, it's the same posture as a desk jockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, swimmer sometimes, you know, internal rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get all these overuse injuries. Cyclists are terrible posture. You know, guys that uh, ride the uh, the racing style yeah. bikes. So all these repetitive movements uh, create these negative postures mm -hmm. in our body. And the rolfer can get in there and integrate. It's called postural integration. Brings you back into posture. Yeah. But, you know, there's other therapies also that do similar things. Uh, maybe you've heard of ART, active release technique, ART. Mm, ART, no, very no. fantastic. What does it do? Uh, basically, it's very similar to rolfing, and they get in and release a lot of the, the tension and the connective tissue. Mm -hmm. But once again, unless you become very consciously aware of your movements, you're just gonna you're just gonna need another session in a few weeks. Yeah, some cool. people do that. They're always going to the the practitioner. It's almost like they become yeah, or at least if they're like dependent on it to get released. But 
you should be able to do it yourself over time. Yeah. You, sh you, know, you should be able to recognize, oh, I'm out of alignment, I'm misaligned, uh, this is a negative movement. So it does bring a conscious awareness. And relating back to the animal um, that you used, this is one way that a human being can get rid of a lot of that stored up trauma. Mm -hmm. But unless you're very, very psychically aware of the negative impact of these negative energies, you're right. People just tend to hold on to them forever and ever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Didn't you release them with, uh, what did you call it again? It's the thing that, um, what's the guy called again? Uh, mm -hmm. Elliot Hulls. Oh, yeah. you, have a, you have a technique <laughs> of that, right? Yeah, you I told went, me about that. I went to uh, Elliot Hulls in, uh, in London and we did um, dynamic meditation from Osho, which is where you, uh, it's a few stages. The first stage is where you breathe very intensely, very chaotic. So you're, breath you're breathing, the air makes your whole body um, full of electricity, like an, energized, mm. an energy, um, that kind of energy. So you get filled up, and then the second uh, phase is a release phase, where you can scream, where you can... Uh, if you do the breathing well, mm -hmm. the screaming, the crying, the laughing, the emotions get out, they call it catharsis. Mm. Um, and it's very intense, but it's very releasing. And um, yeah, after that, you have to you have to center again. So you have to jump, and you jump on your on your heels, and you say ho, ho, <laughs> ho, 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 <laughs> and it goes on. <laughs> uh, then there's another phase where you stand still for 15 minutes. You can't move, so you're standing up. And yeah. At one point, stop. You just you have to stand still because then once you move, the whole energy flow will break and. The exercise was nothing and um then there's a, a relaxing 10 minutes where you can just dance very softly you know it's about loving life yourself blah blah, blah. but it is extremely intense and i did it with 500 people with elliot in um in the uk in a hotel and all in one room it was like 500 gorillas going nuts in a, in a room but it was so intense but it felt so released afterwards so it's uh, and after that in the netherlands i did a 21 day meditation uh, challenge mm. uh, where you can do this because um, you have a lot of patterns you were just talking about and you need to clean up all that shit and then at one point it gets lighter and lighter man i felt great after three weeks wow so you do it three weeks in a row and uh yeah, yeah. But that's the, the, the mental side. Do you use breathing techniques or anything? Uh, very, very much so. And that sounds very much like an intuitive Qigong that I learned from a, from a guy in St. Petersburg, Russia, mm -hmm. who had studied Chinese medicine for years. Okay. And hey, the, intuitive Qigong? Qigong. What, Qi, what's this? Qigong. Q-I-G-O-N-G. Mm -hmm. However you say that in Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> I would know. Yeah. But, but what know. is it? Uh, basically, you, you're shaking. So they're shaking and they're shivering and turning um, I saw a real interesting uh, video of a Tibetan yoga master doing mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. I've seen uh, this Chinese system. Uh, when I was in Russia, also a very similar system. Uh, there's a guy that used to study with uh, Joe Pilates that came up with this gyrokinetic exercise. So it seems like people all over the world are kind of yeah. figuring out the same thing. Mm -hmm. And just this basic shaking and shivering, you get rid of a lot of these pent up tensions yeah. in the body. And you, anytime muscular tension is created from thought, mm -hmm. thought creates emotion. Emotion creates the body because every cell in your body is under the direct command of your mind. Mm -hmm. And many times this is subconscious. You're not even aware of it. But by bringing awareness to the whole situation, you can release a lot of this pent up 
tension and stored emotions in your body. Yeah. And it feels quite good. And then back to the breathing, we you have sympathetic and parasympathetic breathing. The sympathetic is basically what I call panic breathing. Is usually upper chest breathing, mm-hmm. mouth inhales, yeah. fight or flight. You try to avoid that as much as possible because it creates this adrenalization response. And of course, you know, with adrenaline comes all these negative hormones. So you have, you know, you're, you're basically stressing yourself out. Yeah. That's why I'm not too big into the Wim Hof method. Hmm. You know, the Wim Hof method surely will work in cold freezing water yeah. and cold environment. But my question my my question is why the hell would you want to do it? What's the payoff? I think the immune system responds, yeah. right? There's it, it, so it, much better dude, I haven't been sick in thirty five years and I've never used the Wim Hof method. What, what's the secret? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm big into the Wim Hof. I've done a few of his uh, um, uh, I've been into the ice baths a few times. By I the way, it's an ancient yogi trick yeah I mean, yeah i mean it's, it's, it's breathing it's, it's all the it's same you know? I, it's all the same but i think um what he explains is like his breathing method gives the same kind of result uh when you would be high in the mountains and high altitude it gives the same physical result ah, That's the, so the it makes the blood more uh transport more uh oxygen basically yeah basically i see i i don't believe that uh, uh, that sounds and like I'll something t- that I'll can be what, tested. I, actually, yeah, I've, I've studied the Yako method, and I use an oxygen oximeter, so I know exactly what my blood oxygen levels are. And for sure, the parasympathetic breathing, where you stay in a calm state, mm-hmm. this was the breathing of Master Hicks and Gracie, the mm-hmm. greatest jujitsu fighter the world's ever seen. Yeah, he would do this. I, I'd watch him in seminars go seventy-two people in a row without any sound of the breath other than just light breathing totally calm mm-hmm. never losing his mind as soon as you start getting into that upper chest excitement breathing you over adrenalize you use your ability to make decisions you can fatigue yourself quite yeah. rapidly mm-hmm. in any kind of stress lose coordination you right. lose muscle coordination so the idea is to keep non-adrenalized and you can simulate training at altitude it's called breathe light to breathe right by sipping a little bit of air and you see this little nostril, this mm-hmm. little notch underneath, mm-hmm. you bring the air in close with little sips. Oh, that's and nice. And you under breathe. It's amazing. You you create a uh, a resiliency against CO2. In yeah, other words, you, you're not so uh, you're not yeah. so sensitive to CO2 buildup, so you don't get that oxygen debt thing going on. It's like similar to like training it out of two. and it's all very calming calm mm. breathing that's why i don't like to get myself all riled up and over adrenalized mm. you can become addicted to adrenaline like drugs you know you've heard of adrenaline junkies mm. yeah. usually it's associated with thrill sports but i've seen people in the gym that go there every day and smash themselves on the treadmill and the stepper and they're exhausted and they're tired but they got to get their adrenaline fixed mm, they're doing the same thing and they're just as fat as they were the day they started because <laughs> it puts you in fat storage mode they're always chronically tired and fatigued. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, they'll, they'll have their coffee, which also, you know, jacks up the mm. stress hormones. Then they do their adrenalized breathing through the mouth and upper chest, almost like they're in a total panic state. And then they wonder why they're so freaking tired all the time, yeah. Yeah. why they can't lose weight. Could you please, please tell a little bit more about why overtraining makes you go into fat storage mode? Because this is a common pitfall I see people walk into when they want to get active with their body they start training but they start overtraining. i have a hard time slowing them down but 
Why is it so bad? Well, what people don't get is training in itself does nothing. Training is the stress. Mm -hmm. Training actually makes you weaker. So when you're done with training, you're actually tighter, weaker, and at a lower performance level than before the workout. Mm. It's the rest between the workouts that the biologic adaptation occurs. But if you're shortchanging yourself and not allowing that adaptation to occur, then you're always going to be in a chronic state of fatigue. Mm. Your body will see that, you know, you'll have all these stress hormones going, the cortisol and so forth. Your body, in its wisdom, will then attempt to preserve you because it sees itself under constant threat from this overworking out. And fat storage is one of those survival mechanisms, you mm -hmm. see, because mm -hmm. it's laying down a rapid store of body fat because it's saying, hey, man, you know, I'm going to need this fat in the future. I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, like a callus on your hand, you know. Mm -hmm. If you rub the skin every day, right, you're going to rub the hand raw. But if you, let's say, rub with a file or something on the hand, mm -hmm. but then you allow a, a day or two to pass, you'll get like a little bit thicker skin developing over it and soon you'll have like a little protective callus mm -hmm. but if you're just rubbing every day that adaptation never occurs yeah. the next thing you know you have like a big sore spot in your hand mm. because you never allowed that adaptation to occur so the exercise itself is of no consequence whatsoever mm -hmm. you need that adaptation time and the more strenuous the workout the longer it takes for the adaptation so yeah. that's very uh, yeah that's that's clear That's very clear. I was wondering about um, the um, uh, the stress hormones it generates. Um, cortisol is got uh, is getting a lot of publicity. Yeah, yeah, publicity. It's very popular to, to demonize cortisol. Um, you think that's um, you think it's true? You think that's um, that's on the money? Well, let's put it this way: um, in ancient times, cortisol was our friend because when we didn't have such a plentiful food supply, mm -hmm. so when you didn't know where your next meal was coming. You needed to lay down a rapid layer of body fat and you needed to be able to access and use the proteins from your muscles to keep yourself alive. Mm -hmm. Great thing in a time of starvation. Yeah. But nowadays with the plentiful food supply, it works against us. So now people are eating and producing all this cortisol, but the stress is no longer, you know, that of a hunter gatherer no. where you're fasting for maybe a day or two because you're between you know kills in the hunt now it's all emotional stuff so you know mm. emotional stress rather than physical stress which is still you know it, it's part of that survival mechanism yeah. but it works against people in modern times i find that yeah i get that I but find it, that very it enabled us to survive as a species during lean times yes but now it's not so lean Now there's it's old a, hardware that's actually... Yeah, it's old hardware. So it's it's kind of like outlived its usefulness for modern man. Who knows what kind of, you know, adaptations that human beings are going to make in the next few years. I don't think biology moves fast enough for that. I think we need to be aware of the fact that we're running on old hardware and we need to, you know, change our behavior around that. Although, you know, like that's one of the arguments that the paleo people use, you know, oh, well, we have the same genetics as we did. Yeah, that. that's bullshit. There's It is. Been, there's, been, there's been genetic uh, adaptations within just the last thousand years. Yeah, but significant enough to 
you know i, I mean if you look at uh, the space is always evolving yeah always evolving. true oh, but I, let's let for example take a look at i think uh, the paleo guys i uh, think um their their chain of reasoning is like all right um, we don't differ that much genetically from uh, a person that lived twenty thousand years ago um they digested certain types of food a lot better than the, uh, we would um they eight specific kinds of foods and we're built to digest those kinds of foods and what we're eating right now we weren't built you know optimally to digest those because we haven't changed that much much bio biologically since twenty thousand years ago that's been disproven already yeah there's that's been disproven all right there's been plenty of people that have shown that that's just simply not true hmm. one thing for sure you know your diet's working for you if you're not fat yeah okay so let's take diet hmm. how do you know your diet's working one, you're not fat. You're lean. You can see your abdominals in the mirror, mm. and you don't have a big roll of fat hanging over your waist. You have great health. You don't have colds. You don't have flu. You're not always coming down with the cold, you know, every few weeks. Yeah. You know your mm -hmm. diet's probably working. Your teeth and your gums are healthy. You don't have diet. You don't have cavities. You don't have bleeding gums. You're healthy. That's you're right. taking a good uh, bowel movement every day. You know, you're not constipated. So at least you're having a good bowel movement every morning, maybe a couple during the day. Oh, your system is working. Don't change anything. Yeah. You're doing fine. Your skin is clear. You don't have pimples or boils. You know, you're doing fine. You don't have eczema. Yeah. Your skin is healthy. Your eyesight is clear. You know, you have a nice sheen to your skin. Your hair is lustrous. You're a healthy person. Yeah. Obviously, don't change a damn thing. Mm. You're doing great. It's working for but you. But if people can't answer those questions, well, then maybe they better take a hard look at what they're doing. And, you know, one of the things that's been demonized by a lot of these, you know, like uh, the ketogenic group, mm. uh, the paleo group, you know, the fruits, oh, the fruits, the fructose, such bullshit. I've never seen anyone get fat on apples. In fact, I work with a lot of fighters to help them make weight, both mm -hmm. you know MMA, jiu-jitsu guys, wrestlers. Mm. I do a lot of online personal training. I have put many guys on fruit-based diets with fantastic results, mm. getting leaner, plenty of energy, plenty of you know energy to work off on. You know, you're not going to get fat eating berries and apples and you know things like that. Mm -hmm. But one thing, it doesn't make sense for a Nordic man or a guy here in the Northern Europe to be eating bananas and pineapple. <laughs> well, we eat fruit, but yeah. we would like some you steak eat, with that as well. Well, you have your locally produced stuff. I'm not saying don't eat the steak. I'm just saying yeah. that if you're really trying to lose a lot of body fat, fruit-based diets can be very, very helpful. Sounds interesting. What I found very interesting about this is I noticed you um, you use very common sense to determine whether a diet is working for you or not because um, basically the list you ran through because before the podcast uh, Wigger showed you a picture of uh, a native tribe from Brazil and the first thing you started doing was oh these guys look healthy look at their skin look at their hair they have the right amount of body fat i mean and really nice facial features yeah. nice cheekbones you know mm. they don't have the crooked teeth you know that was the result of uh, overly processed foods mm. you know the, the teeth get crowded there was a uh, very interesting guy uh western price perhaps you heard of this guy that went all over the world western checking price. out indigenous people yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. i think he has one uh, on yuboga as well where There's a yeah whole that's like oh that guy i, th yeah. I think he's doing that I'm i think native nutrition.com or something based on his work basically cool. he looked at people indigenous healthy people this is at a time in the early 1900s mm. where you could still find unspoiled people living apart from civilization and he looked at many, many 
different people with every kind of macronutrient ratio you could imagine. Yeah. He looked at the in, uh, the the Inuit and the uh, uh, northern Canadian Indians, and they were eating pretty much fat and protein. Yeah. You know, with just a very small amount of of plant stuff. You know, mostly the contents of the stomach. They would slit open the stomach, put it into the cook pot, and they would stew that. That was about the only plant material they get most of the year. Maybe half digested plant material from yeah, the prey they from, caught. From the prey they caught. Wow. May, maybe Ugh. a little bit of berries or something, but nothing grows up there. No, Yet no. they were incredibly healthy and strong yeah. and lean and not fat. Mm-hmm. But he did note that they had very short lifespans. They died sooner than any other group he studied. Then he looked at uh, some uh, Amazon Indians, and they had like an 80% carbohydrate intake, mm-hmm. very low protein. There was a group uh, in Switzerland that lived up in the mountains, very remote. They were uh, nomadic dairy herdsmen, living primarily off the dairy products. Yeah. Uh, same thing with some of the Mongolian tribes he studied. Mm. Very healthy people, but they lived primarily off the milk and cheese of their animals. Uh, the people he was most impressed with were the... Uh, Polynesians, Polynesian people. Fish. They were eating taro root, which is a big starchy root. I don't know whether you've had taro. That was their mm. staple. Mm. Taro is starch, pure starch. Mm. Similar compound to, let's say, a sweet potato. Mm. Uh, but then fish and mm. coconut. I've been there. It's, I've, I've actually eaten that. Magnificent that people. Is they, it nice? Together with barracuda. Yeah, well, yeah, it's nice. Well, if you go to French Polynesia, man, you see people going out with canoes. And getting back with uh, with a barracuda with dinner, yeah. With I, dinner. I told it before yeah. in the podcast. I mean, actually, we met a Maorian guy, a Maorian. He came from. Um, you have two islands, like Tahiti and um, New Zealand. No, oh, um, hold on. Why do I know no name? Uh, Morea. That's the name. So I went. Never heard of it. I, I went to Morea and um, uh, I just. Uh, Me too. I actually. Uh, taught uh, jiu-jitsu there for three months you they did? were preparing for the society island tournament championships and uh there was actually a prison guard there that was like leading a group of jiu-jitsu uh-huh. guys and uh, i actually promoted him to uh how cool is that i remember that i went around the island with a scooter and um yeah it's so much fun isn't it i it was it's a beautiful island uh but i remember to see one judo school i was like wow it would be awesome to have some dude Brazil there's a uh, there's a physical education teacher that works at the uh agricultural school uh-huh uh, he's a french guy oh yeah but I, I, he teaches well. health and pe he has a whole jiu-jitsu set up at his house cool and people go over there and just uh, train. Well, next mm. time I want to go there. Anyway, I met a guy who uh, was a local, and uh, he just made his money with uh, doing tattoos the original way, like the actually. Uh-huh. Put oh, it, that dude, that's so cool, man. They do it with bones, Painful, you know? Though. Yeah, like the bones of animals, and they just, I don't know, ink you up. Mm. Um, and he went uh, he went out spearfishing. He was like, go on the canoe with me. And I just stayed on the canoe. He's like, I'll be back in a few minutes. It's like, in a few minutes. And he just went under, you know, with no equipment, just his glasses and a spearfish. And like five minutes later, he comes back with a fucking barracuda. You know, Be honest, man. After three minutes, like, you were sweating. You were like, like, is he coming back? Get, yeah. I was like, actually, this is, I saw a lot of sharks this afternoon when I did my shark feeding trip. So this is not the best place to be. The sun is going down, and he just came up with a barracuda. So uh, Some yeah. of those guys can hold their breath so long. Yeah, it's amazing. But back to my point about Western Price, by the way. I, mm. I didn't. Uh, yeah. His conclusion was there is no one diet of man there is no perfect diet mm. you know there's many perfect diets and the human genome is so adaptive that you could pretty much learn to adapt 
on almost any kind of diet. So whether it be 80% carb, 10% protein and fat, or whether it be you know 80% fat and protein and 20%, it doesn't matter. What people have to do, especially in modern society, experiment. Yeah. Mm. And if you're having you know gas and you're farting when you eat, your digestion isn't working. Yeah. If you're burping and having heartburn, you're doing something wrong. If you're gaining weight or you're fat, you're just eating too goddamn much. But also, it may be the way you're eating. You know, it mm-hmm. may it, it may it may be you know uh, the way you're mixing your foods. You know, do making, you subscribe to uh, separating carbs from? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very much into food combining. All right, uh, mm-hmm. just as a way of simplifying your food. Could, could you uh, uh, give the basics of that real quick? Yeah, uh, I follow the work of Dr. John Tilden, a turn-of-the-century American physician. He was a doctor who treated his patients not with drugs. He was anti-drug and Mm anti-pharmaceutical. He treated people with fasting and nutrition and diet. And he found that the simpler you make your meals, the better. He And just for simplicity's sake, he divided food into three basic groups. Uh, Starch, which would be like your potatoes or any grains or rice or anything like this. Uh, Fruits and uh, protein foods. Mm. And protein would be eaten with a green salad or uh, non-starchy vegetables. Uh, your starches could be eaten alone or eaten with also green vegetables. Mm. The fruit could be eaten alone or it could be mixed with certain types of dairy and or seeds or nuts. Yogurt. Just depend. Yeah, like yeah. a yogurt or quark. Here in Northern Europe, you have wonderful dairy products that yeah. I really enjoy. I love that quark. Yeah, it's good Wish stuff. I could get it back in the States. You're not allowed to bring it, are you? Uh, no. no. They, they grab all that stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one that they don't have, which is delicious. But uh, it's very simple. Hmm. And I've pretty much eaten that way uh, all my life. Now, if you're fat or overweight, uh, the first thing you should cut is the starches. Hmm. So you could have like a, a, a fruit-based meal, uh, a protein vegetable-based meal, and either another fruit meal or maybe another protein vegetable meal mm-hmm. and you could you can keep your weight under control uh for for the most part when you're fat you don't need the extra starch calories yeah uh, need, regarding starch bread counts as starch yeah, right breads grains Do cereals you, muesli oatmeal uh, any bread know. types that would you know be okay if you um in holland we ha- I, i have a i don't know if i uh, how you translate it spelt is that saying yeah it's, it's a, a it's an ancient wheat Yeah. It was actually the staple of the Spartans. I like it already. Yeah. Barley was the staple of the Roman soldiers, and the Spartans spelt and some barley. So people that think that you need to just gouge yourself with all this high protein, there was no whey protein in those days. There was there was no, you know, protein gouging. Mm-mm. These guys ate moderate protein diets, uh, grain-based, and they conquered the world. They were the baddest of the bad in their day. You know, mm-hmm. these were tough tough guys mm. they were eating primarily grain as a staple so you know that's why i say that to demonize grains as you know being the scourge of, of of civilization that's just simply not true that's not true but why does it work so well if you're overweight and you start cutting the starches calorie reduction uh, it's just simply a matter of cutting ha- heavy calorie load yeah, yeah all right. and you know like i say even children recognize the fact that Generally speaking, when you're fat, you know, getting rid of the starches is just a really good way to cut calories. Mm. Mm. You know, you just don't need them. You know, starches are energy. It's pure energy. Yep. And, you know, if you're really, really heavy and overweight, you don't need energy. You don't, you want to go catabolic. So, 
you know, just get rid of all extra energy so your body's forced to tap into its unstored body fat. Yeah. Mm. By yeah. the way, I'd like to say to your listeners, I am not a dietitian. I have no um, degree in nutrition, but I have been feeding myself and <laughs> for a while now. For a while now, and uh, a lot of the stuff I just learned as a trainer and as a conditioning coach. You know, I've been working out for 53 years, longer yeah. than most of your listeners have been alive. You do learn a few things in those times. And I have had some very high-level mentors. Many of my mentors were did have PhDs, and I learned you know, from these guys. They really helped me quite a bit. Mm. But, you know, diet's an emotional, controversial thing. Yeah, That's why I like Weston Price. He says, hey, man, there's no so-called perfect diet. The the best diet for a person is the diet they can live with. And then you just look at all the symptoms we talked mm. about. There's more than one right diet. <laughs> But I think he would um, he would agree that the way that we are eating right now and the stuff that gets thrown into our food and the amounts of sugar that you take, I mean, those are uh, obviously least, less optimal than, for well, example, just clean you meat. You definitely and, want to try to get rid of this over-processed stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, I... You know, the GMOs, that's another thing that's a big controversial thing. Yeah, know. what's your opinion on that? Yeah, you know, I just don't know what to make out. You know, there was just a big, big paper that just came out recently where, like, there was many, many high-level scientists that said there's nothing wrong with the mm -hmm. GMO stuff. But I don't know whether they're being paid off by Monsanto Foods. Yeah. You just don't know. I mean, you read this stuff and you see this stuff, but who's paying for the research? That's why, like, the people in the hardcore science and just, you know, it got to be science and double-blind studies. Mm, yeah. First of all, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Mm. Do you know how to read a scientific paper? No, I don't. Do you? I don't. I mean, is it good science? When is, is it, it scientific? bad science? Yeah. Who, who, who paid for the study? I do. I mean, a yeah. lot of times you don't even know who paid for no. it because it's a company that paid for it that's owned by another company that's owned by another company. Yeah. And so often these guys will come up with a result, you know, that the company wants. I think we've you seen it happen you with... You can't trust it, man. No, with climate change. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious. it obviously happened there. But the, the thing with GMOs is that... Um, Even though I think you should be very careful what you put into your body when it comes to nutrition, especially if it's made in a lab, you should be aware of that. I think it's also um, a big frustration that, for example, Greenpeace is blocking uh, the use of some of these products in nature because they're afraid of the biodiversity while it could solve uh, serious starvation problems. And I think that's the whole... Um, well, that's what the scientists' argument yeah. is. They're saying, well, wait a second. All we're doing is just making hybrids, you know? Uh, of things that grow in nature yeah. that are more resilient and give you a better yield that could really solve the problems of world starvation. Yep. So that is a point. And maybe even if they aren't the healthiest, still it's a lot less healthy to starve to death. Yeah. I, <laughs> so, yes, definitely. You know. I have another question related to that, by the way. We had a guy here in the studio. He was a futurologist, and uh, we talked about uh, printing of food. And then we got into... Uh, you mean like one of those... Food printers. Yeah, just like Star Trek. You, it, you're able to print your food now. And then we started talking about <laughs> uh, meat and uh, the uh, the ecological costs, um, you know, related to meat. Everybody's seen Cowspiracy. And then uh, he got to talking about meat made in a lab. So if it was grown in a lab and the creature wouldn't be suffering and it wouldn't be, you know, giving all the, uh, the gas that uh, a cow produces. 
My question is, would you eat that? We have a discussion of, I would eat it in a moment. It sounds like a perfect solution for the problem, but. I'd like to eat some right now, actually. <laughs> it I sounds, try. Sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that really intrigued me, speaking of meat, you know, animal proteins, is mm. cricket protein. Yeah. yeah. Protein from insects. Insects. Dude, I would, eat, I would eat that any time. The powder, it doesn't bother me. But my father, by the way, was an entomologist who worked for the United States Federal Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he was an a insect expert, an entomologist. So my brother and I always had the most magnificent ins- insect collections, you know. Ah, like to, the, the propped up behind the glass with the... Uh, well, or in, the, in those days, being little kids, we had the old cigar box with the little pins. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, but uh, it was so much fun. I, I learned so much about it. But uh, bugs always intrigued me. And yeah. as a protein source, wow. Yeah. You know, like you, you read yeah. about these... Uh, Locust infestations, yes. like in like places like Ethiopia or Somalia, and you, you see a cloud of a dude. Why not just eat those guys? Like the Barbie. Yeah, yeah. man, yeah, yeah. they're delicious. I've had cricket protein. Mm-hmm. It's good, man. Yeah, I think you can actually buy it in Holland now in certain supermarkets. Yeah, it's getting up. It's, it's a lot of protein, and it's far more uh, friendly environment. Sustainable. Friendly. Yeah, you have these crickets. Cricket farms are really easy to um, to maintain to grow. Yeah. Locust too. But yeah. the reason behind the question was if, for example, if you would eat meat from a lab and it would prove unhealthy for you, that there are actual solutions to these bio problems we have through, for, for example, GMOs. But I understand people being very critical of, you know, just eating that. But if it's just a hybrid, like you said, well, you know. Why not? Can Who I... knows what's going to happen in the future, you know? Yeah. There's so many different ways you could go. I think of that movie, Wall E. You yeah. See the little yes, animation. Yes, of course. You know where humans have basically lost their ability to move. Yeah. Uh, who was it? Stephen Hawking said that you know really the 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 most dangerous threat to mankind isn't even global warming; it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. Our machines will get too smart for us, and uh, who knows what's going to happen? It could end up like Wall-E. You get so dependent that you just literally lose your ability to function. You just have these short little limbs with a little finger to push the buttons and yeah. food gets brought to you when the food you know when when the machines break down or they become uh well, s- sentient and develop their own consciousness yeah. and decide hey what are we keeping these fat humans alive for but yeah. i think we already mentioned another possibility as well with pokemon go which is technology technology doing the exact opposite but doing the exact opposite you think about a lot about what where the future is going technology wise you know, to tell the God's honest truth, I don't really worry myself about these things. I believe in a higher power. Mm. Call it whatever you want, universal mind, God, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I trust in that power in all my affairs. And it leads me to do the right thing at the right time and be in the right place at the right time, say the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I really have tremendous faith in this higher nature, which is in all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, you are God, I am God. You know, yes. it's all part of that 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 energy however you want to define that whether you, even if you're an atheist you you would have to admit that there's something greater than yourself something is going on so i <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I try to tap into that at all times so i don't concern myself with these things mm. you know? yeah. I, I just allow myself to be led to do the right thing it's almost like that little observer within you just get the right thought at the right time the right idea mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's led me pretty much through my whole life so i you know i 
did you all always have that piece or is that something that no. came with the years came with the years because if if i if i listen to you describe them, i'm very envious that sounds very uh comforting and peaceful it, it is but it didn't happen overnight no. no you know and i had to reprogram my thoughts i used meditation affirmation and prayer affirmations Affirmations. that's interesting we had a guy here david allen from getting things done the book and uh, he, he wrote uh he did in affirmations in sanskrit in his head every morning yeah. so how do you use affirmations just in english uh really positive affirmations like for example i woke up this morning and the first thing that i said while well, i was still kind of in that theta state mm -hmm. not quite awake yeah but still theta as in referring to brainwaves yeah the, the brainwaves exactly uh you know there's theta gamma delta mm -hmm. uh, alpha brainwave and uh you as you sleep you go through these different brain waves mm -hmm. you can actually uh during meditation create the theta state and go into like this kind of semi-consciousness where you're not really awake or asleep mm -hmm. and that's usually just before you fall asleep or just before you wake up in the morning it's a very good time to reprogram your mind with good positive thoughts is that the same state hypnotists put you in uh, good question. I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't know that. Higher suggestibility. Uh, Higher suggestibility. Because uh, you probably do your affirmations in that period for in, a reason. In that state. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what the monks do when they, you know, they, they, they go into that kind of theta state. But at any rate, you know, a typical affirmation would be, uh, today is the first day of the rest of my life. I will use this day productively, and I will enjoy every moment of this life. Uh, today, I only see the good. Only good comes for me, and only good will come to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You always have to have that feeling of gratitude, mm. yeah, because it's the gratitude that sets the mood for the whole thing. Yeah, and I practice gratitude every day too. Every time I see, I, I get like little notifications of every sale I make, every DVD download that's bought, any product I sell. I get like a little flash on my iPad or my iPhone, and I give thanks. Thank you for this money. And then you have to say why, because it allows me to live in a four-star hotel. Mm -hmm. It allows me to buy my dinner at a nice restaurant. Mm -hmm. It allows me the freedom to do what I want. Uh, it allows me the freedom to buy whatever I want on Amazon whenever I want. Mm -hmm. But you know, for whatever reason, you know, it allows me to be rich and free as as meant to be. Mm -hmm. And then you must nice say one. the three magic words: thank you, thank you, thank you. The mm. magic words. This was uh, something that uh, U.S. Anderson used in his book, The Secret. Yeah. The same type of mentality. Mm -hmm. There's a sister book to The Secret uh, called The Magic, which is all about expressing gratitude. Yeah. Because what you get in your life is the sum total of all your positive negative thoughts. Mm. If you think more negative thoughts in your life, then you will have uh, more negative experiences. And if you can think more positive thoughts... It's the law of attraction. Yeah, you, whatever you, get attention grows. Exactly. If you're yeah. putting out hatred or fear or anger, you're going to only attract those things in your life. I have a question about that. Do you think that, um, it's a discussion point amongst Wigger and me as well, um, law of attraction, is it something externally manifesting itself because of your mindset or is it your perception of reality? You're just primed to perceive certain stuff that you wouldn't have thought if you, for example, wouldn't have had the you know, affirmation of gratitude. Everything you've ever desired, ever wanted, you know, is already here. You just have to recognize that it's already here. Exactly. And then it will yes. manifest almost in an instant. And how quickly you get a manifestation is completely commensurate with the amount of faith you have in the process. Any fear, any doubt, mm -hmm. 
any lack or limitation in thinking, it will completely block the manifestation process. Mm -hmm. So how quickly these things happen. I know some people that have such a high level of consciousness, they can almost instantly manifest things. Yeah. I'll tell you an interesting story. Now, you can think it's bullshit or not, but this guy is not a liar. He was my yoga hmm. teacher. His name is Chandra Ramite. He was a Serb who lived in Australia. He served in the Vietnam War for the Australian Army. He was an illegal immigrant in Australia. He was caught. He was arrested. He was taken before the judge, and the judge says, you can either go to jail or you can go to Vietnam. He said, Vietnam. He went to the Australian Army, served in Vietnam, stayed, studied martial arts in Indonesia and throughout Asia, and then he eventually ended in India, and where he worked with Iyengar, very famous yogi, mm -hmm. for 17 years. At one point, he meditated almost a year in a cave with his master, one of his other uh, uh, yoga masters. He said one night, they're around the fire, and he said, I thought I was really something because I could put both feet behind my head and do this tricky little yoga pose. He says, my yoga master basically just waved his hand and pointed at a bunch of sticks and a fire started. Mm. That's manifestation, my friend. Mm. He says, that's juice. He says, I thought I was something because I could do all these yoga poses. And here's a guy that actually had transcended, you know, the, what we think of as the law of physics. So I don't know. That sounds pretty far-fetched. It sounds like, you know, woohoo. We need YouTube. <laughs> this sounds like something that yeah. should have been recorded with a smartphone, all, yes. All, all the blue bots are going to be uh, jumping on that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I get that. I, I mean, But I know this guy not to be a liar. I mean, this guy speaks the honest truth. So I don't know what he saw, but what it reminded me of is things you hear, let's say even in the Christian Bible, mm. the Christ walking mm. on water, the Christ performing miracles. And supposedly, he was, as an example, his example was not to be worshipped as a god, but that you can do these things too. I mean, if you look all through the Bible, he was basically saying, hey, you have the same power in you as I do, as an example. So we I'm had a thinking guy we have a lot of innate powers of manifestation yep. to manifest goodness and beauty, but it all starts with controlling your thoughts. I think that, I think that is true. I also think it's very hard. We had a uh, we had a preacher here the other day, and uh, he has a church on Aruba, and he told us about a miracle he witnessed about a healing. Uh, there was a a, a, a woman came to him and she was blind, and she pray, uh, he prayed for her, and after that her sight was restored. And um, I fully believe that he believes that is true. For him, that happened 100%. But I don't know, it, it might be me or the way my cynicals, but somewhere in my mind, there's that nagging question, that can't be true, right? That has to be proven first. To be, yeah, you probably have I find to see that so it. hard. I, I, would, I would love to believe it, but, you know. It's, well, see, that's, that's the whole thing about the manifestation process. If you don't believe it, for sure. It you, won't happen. Yeah. 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 Believe and achieve. So, you know, it, it all comes down to faith, the power of faith mm. and the power of the belief system. But yeah. I have seen damn near miracles myself, you know, of, of things. There was, uh, you know, I, I've gotten out of some scrapes. Things just manifested and just became yeah. carving. Yeah. The thing that you have to really watch, though, you got to be careful and not get into what we call spiritual pride. 
spiritual pride pride where you mm. start to think wow look at me i can do this manifestation that i'm so enlightened that heads you heads you to a real fall at some mm. point mm -hmm. so you got to keep that humbleness you know mm. about you and not get too full of yourself with this manifestation thing mm. yeah if you look you got to be very very careful with that spiritual pride because yeah. you know pride goeth before the fall as they say mm. and believe me you're going to you're going to manifest some type of negative experience so you, the the way that you don't get too full of yourself and get too prideful about the whole thing is keep that humility, and that comes from gratitude by being always grateful to the source, whatever you think that is, mm -hmm. you know. An atheist could still follow this whole principle and still manifest mm -hmm. just through. It's called the science of mind or mental science. It's all about thought control. Yeah. yeah. I, I considered myself an atheist until I started talking to, um, for example, Paul Smith, who was a guy who got into non-duality. And non-duality is basically the atheist version of we are all one. There's one big source and everything that separates us is ego, which is just manifested in your brain. Um, question about that. You talked about, um, you know, staying humble, not, you know, um, uh, spiritual pride, fear. These are all things manifested by ego. As a man who has had some life experience, how have you seen that progress in your mind? For example, if I look at myself as a 25-year-old, I can smile at the things my ego made me do. <laughs> uh, I can imagine that if I have your age, I look at myself right now and I can do the same. Is that true? Absolutely true. As a matter of fact, many of these things I couldn't have done when I was younger because I just wasn't ready for it. Mm. You know, the ego was so strong. I heard that a man is not able to critically think until he's over 60. I found that that was tr true enough for me. Yeah. You know, once I got past that, that stage where everything was just, you know, where you just think you can beat the world, so to speak. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. I had manifested a lot of negative experiences in my life, mm. but I understand why and how I did that. You know, mm. and now I I feel like I'm living on like a different plane. You know, like looking with, back at that, was with, it necessary with, to make those mistakes? I think so. Yeah, I, th I think for me, I've made every mistake in the book. I've done so many stupid things; it's unbelievable. <laughs> what is that? that's comforting to hear? <laughs> a lot of the things I'm ashamed of, man. Oh, uh, we got time. So, what's on number one? <laughs> yeah, let's do a little rundown uh, here. Some of these things I wouldn't even want to say <laughs> in public, but uh, yeah, I've done some things, mm. shameful things. Yeah, you mm. know that I'm very sorry for now. Like but, everyone. I mean, at the same time, I realize that. I can't be here if I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all in the learning, the yeah. learning experience. Yeah, and being aware of the fact that, well, that wasn't the best thing to do at that moment and being able to, you know, change your behavior in the future as well because of that. I think that's very, yeah, very valuable. Your perception at that moment is that it's the right thing to do. Well, you can't you know? so, do anything other than what you do. Yeah. You know, people always second guess themselves. Oh, if I would have done this. No, but in well, truth... Yeah. You were only able to do that one thing, and there was nothing else you could have done. Yeah. That touches the subject of free will. Yes. Is there free will? Yes and no. <laughs> because I just heard you say there's nothing else you can do, so that, that well, suggests at, determinism. At, at that level of consciousness, that's yeah, all, right. all you're capable of doing. Yes. And mm. in order to be able to do something of a higher nature, you have to have a higher level of consciousness about what it is who and what you are but when you're a young man you don't have that no all you're thinking about is pussy all the time and getting laid and you know, sounds about right yes food money you're pretty much into the the senses you know your five senses sensualism uh, 
now modern people are very much hedonistic. You know, it's all about sensual pleasures and food and comfort and, you know, all the bourgeois comforts, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I like bourgeois. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm definitely bourgeois. I, I like my comforts and I, you know, I, I want to live a comfortable life. Yeah. I don't want to live the life of an ascetic and, you know. But the difference between you and a lot of people is that you're, you've gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with being uncomfortable anymore. They're I think that's a big problem. Being uncomfortable, it's okay, man. If you're not sure, you're, you know, you uh, you you learn to control a lot of these negative impulses and so forth. A lot of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier: the breath, the breathing. Mm-hmm. If you're caught up in upper chest breathing, you know, you have clavicular breathing, intercostal breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. If you're breathing in this part of the apparatus, you never can be comfortable. You're always in fight or flight. Yeah. You're always in a negative mindset, negative stress hormones. It's virtually impossible to control your mind or your thought because you're in a perpetual fear state and you're always hungry. You're chronically hungry and you're not getting the most valuable nutrient of them all, right? Mm. I mean, anybody could pretty much fast 30 days with no food. Mm. You could survive. You could. You can go without three or four days without water. You could. But you can't go more than a few minutes without air. Mm, Yet true. everyone is missing that vital element. They're not getting oxygenated because they're not using the breathing apparatus. But what does that do to your psyche and your thoughts? It's very hard to have positive thoughts when you're in a chronic panic state. Mm. That's why the breath relates to all of this that we're talking about. So you got this, you know, this this duality here. You got this physical shell, and then you got this higher consciousness. And, but one depends on the other. Yeah. So if you're not taking care of the horse that the spirit is riding, yeah. Man, if you're beating the horse or flogging the horse, yeah. you're t- you know you're, you know you're you're using all sorts of chemicals and Every- drugs and stimulants. You're not going to be able to develop much in the way of higher consciousness because you're plagued yeah. by too many physical ailments, mm-hmm. sickness and pain and suffering. How can you think of higher things when you're just chronically drawn back into the body? Because of dis-ease. Yeah. yeah, or stress. I've been reading a few books from uh, Al- um, Alberto Villolo. He's a shaman. He's an uh, American anthropologist. And he studied shaman for, for, I think, for 20 years or something. Mm. He wrote a book about, um, it's called One Spirit Medicine, where he goes into the shamanistic way of getting healthy, but also scientific way. And he basically explains that enlightenment, enlightenment can't be reached without a healthy brain so your brain is all cramped up with too much grains too mm. much sugars and it's just not working well and i uh, yeah i fully agree on on that one if your nutrition is not very well you know you suggest a lot of supplements that detoxify your liver your brain mm. and it goes into it pretty well everything um, psychological is biological and um, the breathing that that's something that i'm wondering after hearing you say that does uh diaphragmatic breathing does that actually regulate for example cortisol or other hormonal levels that would influence your mind state? oh absolutely you stay calm even in a dangerous situation you mm-hmm. can remain calm and detached yeah and all the yogis knew this all the qigong masters knew this all the tai chi masters knew this in japan they called it ki in china they called it chi mm-hmm. You know, in yoga, they call it pranayama, you know, but it's been around. People have known this for, you know, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's a life force. And yeah. it's the life force, the life energy. Yeah. Until you're in touch with that, you know, not much is going to work. Can modern science measure any of the stuff we're talking about? No, not at all. 
you know it goes it flies in the face of modern science mm. although science is beginning to discover more and more of the stuff we're talking about as being real you know there was uh speaking of positivity there have been some studies done on people that are prayed for mm-hmm. yeah. in hospitals seen it who heal much faster than people that they just don't do yeah. any prayer people that they lay the hands on literally laying of the hands like they talk in the bible you know these people would heal quicker is it with or without them knowing that they're being prayed for i don't know mm, because question. if you know that you're being prayed for that might give you a good feeling that might you know accelerate the healing it could possibly do that. i think this is why we do double blinds uh, by the way but yeah. <laughs> uh you know that's a good question i'll have to look at that but so what If no, it if it helps, it, it, it works, well, it works. you know. That's yeah. true. Yeah. What if I gave you a pill that was just nothing but sugar, but that's I what told it, you it's going to do something for it's you, excellent. and it did? It's like use it 100%. But give me de- that sugar, baby. <laughs> but in determining the mechanism behind it, it would be interesting to know whether or not the people knew that they were being prayed for. Because if it works without them knowing, that would actually prove the power of prayer. It could. Or else it would just be a fancy placebo. But if a placebo still heals you, I think you can still use a placebo. That That's not a problem. <laughs> uh, we had these discussions so many times. Man. Yeah, it's but just, here's uh, the thing, you know, too. Who cares how it works? Yeah. If it works, it works, it works. It's it's like when I was taking the task about that astrology thing and the Rogan show. Mm. Right? Who gives a fa- fuck how yeah. it works? I can't explain how it works. I don't know how the guy does it. All I know is that it's given me good results. How can anyone argue with that? I can, uh, and if it's placebo, it's placebo, and I'm. Happy I get to that. Do I get that. But before, this, um, with the same, um, if we would have applied that line of reasoning to everything, we wouldn't have known that, for example, willow contains the stuff that you know certain painkillers are made of. Because if you see that that plant does a particular thing to a body, you might want to know what exactly it is in that plant that causes the effect of painkilling, so you can put it in little pills, so that's easier than or, just chewing on or, bark. Or you could just chew on the bark. Yeah, exactly. And just be happy with that, and just know that it works yeah. you know but i understand what you're saying there are there are physical laws in the universe exactly now i talked about one example of a guy that supposedly waved his hand and created a fire that seems to defy the physical laws as we know it mm-hmm. you know um you know christ walking on water i don't know whether that was just a hallucination of his disciples or well, whether that happened you know but it's not impossible there, i saw dynamo do it There are <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. he he did it. And um, I'm sorry, Dynamo. It's uh, isn't it? A, he's a he's an illusionist, and he did this he's in a, the. It's sort of the name. He's an illusionist. Yes, he did. Exactly. an illusion mist. But he walked on water. We didn't know he had. He used a trick. So Chris, it is actually Chris possible. Angel did yeah. the same thing in Las Vegas. Awesome. Chris Angel. It walked. makes me go like, how the hell did he do that? Yeah, but that's why he's called an illusionist. I know. Right? I yeah. Know. All right. Cool. Chris Angel walked across a Las Vegas swimming pool. Yeah. In his bare feet, with people literally swimming underneath. Exactly. Him. Uh, that's fucking and, weird. Yeah, and he did it also. Cool. And I mean, it was actually televised underwater camera. Yeah. No one can figure out how he did it. Cool. But you know, there are things that we can't explain. Mm-hmm. And did he walk in water, or how did he walk in water? I don't know. Mm. But do I care? No, I don't have to explain it. I all I have to know is it happened. And if something's working for you in your life and you are feeling good about it, I don't see why you have to pick it apart and try to figure it out. Mm. For me, the fact that it's working and it's not causing any harm to myself or causing harm to any other human mm-hmm. being. For me, that's good enough. I think that's relatable to something I actually heard uh, you say, Weird. Um, 
he had a talk about uh, psychedelic experiences once and um, if you go on a psychedelic trip you can see stuff that's so mind-boggling and makes you feel like you see the divine and makes you a real humble person does it really matter that it's just a substance in your brain that's firing off synapses no it doesn't it's the experience is no less real so you know, you get you get the feeling and all the benefits from that. I think it's in that same vein of it's thinking. It's the same same yeah. idea. Because yeah. I mean, ultimately, it all comes down to the mind, anyway. And, and the, the lessons learned. And the lessons learned, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Reminds me of a talk that I had with an apprentice shaman, a Brazilian guy who um, I just came out of ayahuasca ceremony and brought him back to the airport. He had to go back to Brazil. Mm. And he talked English very well, so it was my chance to uh, to ask him some questions. Like, dude, all right, we've seen the ce- I, you know three crazy ceremonies, mm. and, you know. <laughs> it's like, tell me what is the craziest shit you've seen? And he actually told like um, that one of the shamans in, in the in the forest in Brazil, during ceremony, went with his hand into somebody's body, and he got something black kind mm, of stuff out. Mm, mm. We've heard the stories before, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's on, yeah, all right, he's on DMT. <laughs> Whilst he's see it. But, you know, these stories goes on and on. I've seen a guy on um, Aubrey Marcus's podcast mm. where he's uh, uh, learning shamanism and he's actually sucking out the blood of somebody's leg without uh, penetrating skin. And he's just spitting it out and without without the skin uh breaking you know it's kind of i don't know he's just like that in, he has a center you know there in uh shamanism mm-hmm. i think it's called bloom morpho center or something it's just crazy shit you know but are you going to argue you've you've been in ayahuasca sessions mm-hmm. you know how weird it can be yeah and that's the whole that's the whole point i'm trying to make it doesn't really matter um <laughs> and it doesn't matter where the experiment yeah, where yeah, it comes yeah. from i know i'm tripping balls but i still have the feeling yeah, you know yeah, true. So it doesn't. And your feelings are real and they should be respected. It's like a very good friend of mine. He actually is a PhD also in biochemistry, like Mm. Otto Rolf. He also is a board certified nutritionist from from Temple Medical School. Mm -hmm. At one point, he was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer. He had a tumor in his brain the size of a golf ball right behind his eye. Yeah. He was told, sorry. You're going to die. There's nothing modern science can do. We can't operate in this because it will kill mm. you. The chances of you dying. So this guy did everything. He was drinking marijuana tea. Yeah, he CBD was taking oil. Every freaking herb that you could think of that was supposed to be good for cancer. He went to a psychic surgeon who supposedly reached his hands and, and pulled out this stuff. Mm. He did everything because his life was on the line. He went back symptoms disappeared he did lose some hearing in his left ear which never returned yeah but his uh he lost his eyesight but the eyesight came back he went and had another uh mri and the golf ball had shrank down to the size of a little bb like smaller than a pea yeah yeah and all symptoms were gone now how did that happen he doesn't know because he did what we call the shotgun approach he did everything that he could think of he doesn't know what caused it or no, how it happened. It was it the psychic yeah. surgeon? Was it the marijuana tea? Well, I forget. He had like a dozen herbs he was taking. Mm. Oh, I forgot he was fasting. He was doing all this stuff. Mm. What caused it? He doesn't know. No. And you know what? He don't care. He's alive. Because yeah. Because, yeah. because the doctor that diagnosed him is now dead. He, he took a nice piss in that guy's grave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little spiteful, but yeah, I nah, know what you're getting at. Yeah, he, yeah, no, he, I know. He, he didn't do that. No, I, f- I think it's funny while you talk about these subjects. 
because yesterday I was looking at um, one of the uh, the latest Joe Rogan podcast where you talk about uh, your astrology friend, and I looked at the comments on YouTube, and man. I got killed. This is the internet, you know? They got vicious. Oh, <laughs> they take any chance to jump on somebody, you know? Especially if they think they're Joe, their hero, Joe Rogan, which is an awesome guy. I love Joe. And uh, he's always treated me extremely well. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's been a real mentor to me, actually. Matter of fact, to many uh, people, to all just, yeah. just bringing me on the show really helped me tremendously get my word out and my message. Yeah. But see, as soon as they perceived that he was on me, of course, they're jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, and, you know, oh, Steve, what's happened to him? Oh, he used to be such a great trainer, but he's into woo-woo stuff. And <laughs> somebody had to straighten out the poor old guy. He's must have gone see now in his old... You know, I, I saw some of those comments, too. You know what irked me about that one is uh, not as much that they jumped on the topic, but that they... Um, I saw some guys, oh, I stopped listening after. And after the astrology bit, there was some really some good, good stuff. There yeah. was some really good information about isometrics and concentric and eccentric training and training with overload and time and attention. Like, you're missing out on all this great stuff. And only because he subscribed to some thoughts with astrology. Well, you know, you might or might not agree, but who really cares? Because the fitness who and the cares? nutrition stuff is still awesome. That was the next stuff to come on. Yeah. So, someone told me, you know, I never listened to the end of that show, but I did hear that uh, one of my former clients who listens to him regularly, mm. said that he actually, towards the end of the thing, he came back and then made an apology for, for, for lambasting astrology. Did you guys hear that? I don't know. Don't know. She said he had actually gone on and said, hey, for you guys that are into astrology, I, you know, I apologize. I don't know whether that's true. Oh, he's open-minded. I mean, don't know. So I don't know. Okay. But uh, all I know is the emperors and kings and presidents for time immemorial have used their astrologers yeah supposedly the three magi that found jesus in the manger in bethlehem were astrologers but what does that mean let's let well if we, if, since we're touching this subject uh, we're, on YouTube, we're, we're on youtube too uh, michelle so no but i'm just worrying what part of because uh, astrology is a broad term but you really subscribe to for example a horoscope if you read a horoscope, that's no, part of no, astrology. No, 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 not that. Two people born on the same day. Yeah. You know, December 3rd, 1952. Yeah. Exactly. Right, at 12 noon. Another guy born December 3rd, 1952, 12 noon, might have mm. completely different charts. Exactly. But with a guy that really knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, 12.01 as opposed to noon would make it different. It would be a lot of similarities, obviously. Mm -hmm. It would be completely different. And like my guy says, look, man... Anybody can set up a chart. That's the easy part. It's the it's it's the interpretation that's the really tough stuff. Mm. And I say to him all the time, "Hey, are you ever wrong?" He said, "Yeah, sometimes." He said, "But I like to know when I'm wrong. If I make a prognostication and you find it to be completely wrong or different, mm -hmm. I want to know so I can fine tune my system to make it even better." Yeah, and you know, I don't have problems with systems like this. If people, if if this gives you a sense of purpose and it gives you a good feeling, I, I think it's fine. I think I only have problem with people that misuse it. For example, to you know, um, we've all heard it's uh, psychics that you know misuse their relation with people just to you know keep taking money, money and stuff fortune. like that. And when you use it in that way, and it's you know, it doesn't really stand the test of the scientific method, and I think you should try and fight it. I just pay them by the time. You yeah. Know? I don't have enough money to take anyway, so. Oh, well. Um, but it, it was a great example of, um, well, the power of the internet. The internet. Yeah, vicious. and how it can... Um, and how people love to pile on. Well, don't feed the trolls. Yeah. I mean, they uh, since there has been internet, there has been trolls. We are no strangers to this phenomenon. Mm. Uh, phenomenon. We started as trolls. I mean... 
we used to be in a little MMA community and we had our fun as well with the internet because it's easy to get a rile out of people because oh, it's anonymous. Yeah. It's like something people do behind the uh, anonymity of the keyboard. Yeah. And you're right. Some people just get off on, uh, you know, they have one hand of the mouse and one hand of the dick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was you, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. I know hey, that. we've all been there, you know. Yeah, yeah. The internet is a powerful place. Um, can I, can I, um, God, I want to ask you something. Obviously, uh, you, you've been talking about fasting a few times already. Yeah, yeah. It's an uh, uh, age-old practice for helping the body rebalance itself. Yeah, I think I heard you on one of the Joe Rogan episodes talking about long, uh, cell longevity, that it increases um, lifespan of a cell. Can well, you go into that? You know, they, they, they've looked at many, many different uh, anti-aging techniques. And systematic under-eating mm -hmm. seems to be number one. Uh, the systematic underfeeding of laboratory animals can increase their lifespan by double even triple in some cases it, they've like they've they've increased uh, two and a half times uh, uh, dogs mm. lifespans by underfeeding um, I had a very practical experience I had a cat that lived to 21 years old and we only fed her once every other day and this you, cat was spry and healthy animal yeah. 21 years my friend uh, most house cats don't live much more than you know 14 years 15 years this cat was still going pretty good mm. and uh, I had ferrets. You know what they are? Mm -hmm. They call it the European polecat uh, ferret. Uh, they're kind of like a little weasel. Yeah, yeah. They're really cute. Yeah. Smart little uh, things. Yeah, yeah. I had them for my kids, and we underfed the ferrets, and their lifespan is about five years. Ours lived to eight years, and they wow. were healthy right up until then. So, Isn't that know, why Japanese people got, or Asian people, get a lot older? The Okinawans have, like, uh, second highest lifespan in the world, mm. and they, they, have, they practice this... Uh, uh, technique of uh, 80%. Yeah. They, they pull away from the table before they're satisfied. They never overeat. They're, you know, they never eat to satisfaction. They always stop. They feel like they could eat a little bit more. It takes uh, a lot of discipline. But anyway, fasting is a way of unburdening your digestive system. It takes a lot of energy to digest food. And if you are overburdening your digestion by mixing too many different things together or eating too often, you know, guys that eat every two hours or, you know, huge meals or whatever, you are really burdening the digestion and you're diverting energy away from your own immune system. Mm. So if you do start coming down with a cold symptom or you start getting some type of feelings like a sore throat or whatever, mm. if you immediately stop eating, even just for a half a day, your immune system kicks into overdrive and is able to overcome whatever it is that's, you know, trying to take over. Hmm. And for longevity and health, regular fasting is just a great way to just rest the digestive system. It's been used forever. I think you read about all the great prophets, mm -hmm. you know, all of the great uh, Greek uh, uh, philosophers. philosophers were into fasting, Socrates, Plato, you know, all these... Uh, Aristotle, mm. they advocated, you know, frugality with the food mm. and fasting, simple diets, uh, you know, all the great sages, all the great Christian monks, uh, all of the uh, yogis, all of the Chinese uh, philosophers, they were all into light eating and fasting. So yeah. it's empirical evidence. It's stood the test of time. But there's even been fasting clinics in modern Europe mm. Uh, the Europeans, there was a mm -hmm. Swede by the name of Pablo Orola from the Karolinska Institute that used fasting 
this guy, Dr. John Tilden, I told you about earlier. So it has a long history of success with helping the immune system get strong and helping rid your body of disease and, mm. and, and, and problems. So describe fasting in a way, because I fast once a month for 24 hours. Okay. Um, but you can do intermittent fasting. You can like do a daily fast, pushing your first meal back. Mm -hmm. You know, breakfast is a rel relatively modern invention. It was invented in order to sell cereal products for the farmers. It had, a, as the cereal industry got big, breakfast cereal, that's when breakfast became the yeah. most important meal. Speaking of uh, really? skewed science, hmm. there was all these studies saying, oh, breakfast is the most important meal. It's bullshit. It was paid for by the cereal companies. <laughs> Wow. True, uh, what? truly. But uh, what about uh, the um, uh, the whole thing of you know eating a big uh, protein breakfast in the morning to make you know to make yourself anabolic as possible? That's Tim Ferriss science. Yeah, who we? Right? I think there's something to that. You right? got it from Mookie. He was like in the first thirty minutes, you got to eat so much proteins for when you, you wake know, up. Perfect yeah, perfect absorption and stuff. But yet, I could show you guys like Ori Hoffmeckler, you know, that believes in just eating one big meal at the end of the day. And, mm. you know, healthy as a freaking horse. Yeah. And then he has a lot of, uh, you know, historical notes and empirical evidence to show that the one big meal at the end of the day is a really good way to go. You know, so you'll find every kind of diet under the sun. But one thing for sure, when you stop eating food for any length of time, this is a great way to allow your body to kind of rest, garner its energy. And there's no doubt that... Uh, Lowering your calories or, 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 or going really low in the calories mm -hmm. is really, really good for helping preserve your life and increase lifespan. Yeah. So what is your fasting uh, routine? I usually don't eat until between 10 and 11 every day, but I get up at 5. So you know I'm up four or five hours before I'll break my fast with my first meal. Mm -hmm. Some people call that intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. And anytime I have any hint of a cold, nasal, sinus, throat, you know, I fly all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the worst air you can imagine in those tin can air, airlines, yeah. you know, recycled. Yet I, I'm never sick. I'm never sick. Hmm. Why? Because I take care of my health with perfect eating, you know, mostly raw fruits and raw vegetables, mm -hmm. and fasting. As soon as I feel it, I'll just stop. I won't eat until I feel better. You won't eat until you get better. Until I get better. And uh, that does, uh, I'll drink water. Yeah. Mm. Occasionally, I'll have maybe some tea. Green juices? Uh, Green no. Juices? I have done. Now, listen, if I absolutely have to produce, let's say, for example, I go, I'm going to New York City uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, flying. Let's say I get to New York, I start getting a head cold. But I have to teach a seminar. There's no way around it, right? Mm -hmm. I may go on a juice fast. So mm. I'll read. I'll make my digestion as easy as possible by eating something that's extremely digestible. Juice basically just goes right through your system. So the idea so is I might, I might do like a juice press. It's mm -hmm. all over New York, fantastic place. They make these raw organic juices. I might just go into juice fast for a day or two. Not as good as water fast, but it still unburdens my digestion, allows my immune system to kick in into overdrive. Yeah. Tilden believed that the body is capable of pretty much defeating any kind of outside invader. Mm. I mean, he believed you could even beat the bubonic plague. Yeah, so or, basically... Or Ebola, mm. if, you know, your immune system is strong enough. Yeah, we have some Ebola here, so can you, yeah. get, can you get the <laughs> injection here? Let's test this shit. <laughs> I have a lab coat. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. All, it's all about the immune system, man. Yeah. I'll give an example. Mm. Uh, this is back in the day when I had my jiu-jitsu school. I had the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu school on the eastern coast before Henzo Grace or anybody 
Steve Maxwell and Max Exercise. And we had an outbreak of ringworm in our school. And the mm. guys were all freaking out and getting all hinky. Oh, you got to cleanse the mats. And it's like, dude, ringworm lives in your body and is passed from skin to skin contact. It can't live on outside surfaces. Mm. So it's not the mats, which we did scrupulously clean every night. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that because people said, oh, you should close down the school. It was bullshit. It was the immune systems were impaired. So one guy had a patch on. And I, I, he said, here, take that Band-Aid off. And he had this big, round, nasty, pus-looking thing on his arm. So I took an ink pen, and I put a little X on my arm, and I took my finger and swabbed the pus off his ringworm and rubbed it into my own <laughs> These skin. These are details we don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know to you prove want, a point, yeah. To prove a point. point. And I says, hey, look at this. I'm not going to get ringworm, my friend, because my immune system is too strong. I'm not going to get sick. Yeah. Pus your belief system, once again, mm. you know, I had a belief system that didn't allow for me to get sick. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe in sickness and ill health, you're not going to attract it. So sure enough, within that next week or so, there was no ringworm that appeared on my body. Mm. Now, well, that being said, I have come down with ringworm. Hmm. And that was because I left my immune system lower. Uh, I was doing some imbalanced things. Usually with me, it's when I get too hot, uh, heat-producing foods. I don't know whether you uh, know about Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedics. Which is like turmeric yeah. and stuff. It's a yogic, yeah, yogic yeah. medicine. You yeah, turmeric and... Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pitta, constitutional type, or three... Con well, anyway, uh, I'm subject to heat-related problems. So for a person like me, spices and things are a terrible thing. Ah, yeah. You know, I need to eat cooling foods. You know, a hot, humid weather is not very good for me. I got to be careful not to allow myself to get overheated. Mm. Certain yoga postures create heat in the body. I got to avoid those. Certain breathing systems, like the one that Hickson uses, the uh, breath of fire, mm -hmm. that real rapid, that'd be a terrible thing for me. You what see? happens when you do it? I get too hot. You build up too much internal heat. Okay. I got to keep my internal system nice and cool. Mm -hmm. So I use different types of uh, pranayama breathing. It's like 15 different types of yeah. breathing in pranayama each for different ba imbalances and for bringing balance to the body. At any rate, my, my point is that, yes, I am human and can get these things like anybody else, colds, flu, mm. ringworm, whatever, you know. But most of the time, I protect myself by keeping my immune system at a very, very high level. And when I get complacent, or a little bit too egotastic, <laughs> and I lower lower my safeguards, lo and behold, mm -hmm. I'll start to manifest some negative situation. So I immediately deny the situation. I'll use mental science to completely dismiss it, realize that this isn't part of my nature, and then I'll take physical steps along with the mental science to correct it. Mental May science is being aware of what's going on in your body and Exactly, where I will use affirmations to affirm it away because I know that my mind is in control of every cell of my body. Mm. So I will make sure that I get that juju going. Yeah, yes. And then I will also do practical things. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll get a anti, or not an antibiotic, but antifungal cream and put on there. Why not? Mm -hmm. I like tea tree, a natural. You know. Yeah. Or so uh, coconut oil is just amazing for as an antifungal. You see what I'm saying? There's yeah. just like one little example where you use physical things in the physical realm, you use mental things in the metaphysical realm, and you can keep yourself quite balanced and quite healthy mm. almost all the time. What's your standpoint on balanced sleep? 
I heard you say you get up at five. Um, that immediately got me wondering, and what time do you go to bed? Uh, actually, I'm in bed pretty early, yeah. sometimes as early as eight or nine o'clock. Yeah. Uh, but usually I like to read something dull. <laughs> <laughs> it helps to sleep in. Yeah, <laughs> it causes rapid eye fatigue. I read off my... Uh, rapid my, eye my, fatigue. My Kindle. Yeah. Oh, and, nice. uh I use that uh, kind of sepia low light mm -hmm. and the eye fatigue causes heavy eyelids and you start to drift off to a nice yeah still eliminate the blue light right yeah 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 That's i have that, like one of those apps that that uh, allows me just to drift into it and I'll, I'll read some you know some spiritually uplifting type thing not too exciting a little bit dull you know mm. where you have to kind of work to read it <laughs> <laughs> to tire the mind yeah and it kind of slows the mind down yeah. every once in a while i gotta admit i'll watch something on my uh one of my tv stations that i can live stream mm -hmm. uh, i like to watch comedies yeah I, I love this thing on hbo go i use a vpn so i can illegally <laughs> stream netflix <laughs> stream in holland <laughs> yeah actually netflix has all these blockers up you can't get netflix anymore. i've noticed that i've noticed that i'm pissed off i was yes, watching same here peaky blinders and damn it i got caught now i have two episodes to go and i can't watch it here and all you have to download and every again. time i use the vpn they say ah you know you, it looks like you're using a vpn yeah but um yeah i watch things like flight of the condors ah. I think that's I so funny. Or I, I've been rewatching all the old Jerry Seinfelds. Ah, hilarious. Jerry, stuff. yeah. Very yeah. uplifting, funny, light. None too heavy. Nothing heavy. Nothing. I won't watch Game of Thrones. That's wow. for daytime. Yeah, watching. Cool. Too it, he too heavy. It too, is heavy. No, seriously. Violent. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah. There's one scene that's still stuck in my mind. I saw from the first season. That's the guy with the yeah. bucket and the rat to the stomach, and they oh. put a torch. That hasn't left my. I don't Dude, want to see that stuff anymore. Yeah. Why did you put that back in my mind? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> for, me, for me, it was the pregnant lady who got slaughtered. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's too heavy. Very gruesome. Yeah, that, that, I, I get that. That's day. That's daytime viewing. Mm. Nighttime will be a light comedy, something funny, something stupid you know like most mm. of, like like the seinfeld show i like because like they used to say it's about nothing it's just yeah. silly i did the same with family funny guy. stuff family guy family uh, awesome. another one uh curb your enthusiasm yeah very funny stuff you know mm. nothing light to digest light and that that produces a very happy mood so yeah sometimes i'll watch something mm. like this but I like to read too. Yeah, if the if the blue light is a problem, um, we talked about this before. But if you're on a laptop, you actually have applications that take away the blue light. And there's these, yeah, there's these um, <laughs> hilariously looking orange glasses you can put on to block the blue light as well. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I they, should they, tell my um, my girlfriend about that. She likes to use her computer at night. Yeah, if oh, you want an iPad in bed or something, you could put those glasses on. It looks hilarious, but it does uh, block the blue light, so your melatonin production stays how optimal. How cool is that? Yeah. Well, yeah, saying, you always learn something. Yeah. You can just install Flux, right? It's a yeah, free Flux app. does the same. Yeah. Although I don't know if it's there for Apple. It's Are you really going to look at your girlfriend sitting there with orange glasses on and you're thinking like, yeah, man, Dude, tonight's going to happen. That's my fetish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Makes so, it even more attractive. Exactly. Uh, but I, I have become very good at sleeping because I cross time zones. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know whether your listeners know, I'm, I'm a digital nomad. I have no home, apartment, no place to I just live out of one bag, 45-liter bag, and I just travel all over the world, living either in hotels or mm -hmm. occasionally Airbnbs. But, you know, it feels like too much like someone's... House. Yeah. Yeah. Their vibe. I, I prefer neutral. 
You're so, a real guest if you're Airbnb. Exactly. Yeah. So I like hotels, man. I thought you had a house in uh, Maui. You live in Maui now. No, right? no, no. I thought no. that was the thing you were talking about with Joe. I was thinking about it, but you know, it passed. Okay. <laughs> it was a fluke. It was a fluke. <laughs> no, I, Did your I, astrologer friend give you another location to go? <laughs> <laughs> Switch. No more Maui for you, man. No Maui, dude. You, you're talking too much about astrology. <laughs> yeah. Don't come back, dude. You're, you're too weird for me. But... Uh, now I, I just pretty much travel all over the place. I got in this pretty much real minimalist type lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's very comfort to me, not having stuff is much more comfortable than when I had a four story brownstone house and a two story gym yep. with a jujitsu school. I it's very simple. I think I, you know George Carlin has a great nothing. bit about it. It's just a place to put your shit. Yeah, it's just a place and to put And if you go somewhere shit. else, you take a bag with more of your shit. More shit. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's shit storage. Working I mean, some job that you hate you know, to buy shit you don't need. Exactly. And then to buy a house to put the shit and then to rent a storage space or an attic to put even more shit. And before you know it, your life is just shit, just yeah. based on stuff. So yeah. for me, you know, I've been there, done that. You, you know. cut free from all that. I, I, I had a lot of that stuff, but it didn't particularly give me any satisfaction or anything. When did that happen? When did you decide? After, after my divorce. All oh, right, it was yeah. just screwed up. I went kicking and screaming at this. It, it wasn't voluntary. My, ah. my ex-wife said, get out you know it was like whoa you know it was like really traumatic and then i realized wait a second seeming disasters could actually be blessings in disguise oh wow and yeah. once i got out of there and away from it and realized what was happening it was like this is a blessing this is basically what i really wanted all the while mm. and for some people you know it's a dream come true just being able to travel around yeah. i mean if you would have told me 15 years ago steve you'd be making your living on the internet i'd say are you insane i don't even know how to use the internet i yeah. didn't even have a cell phone until i was like 52 years old mm. i did i never learned how to use a laptop i still don't thank god for apple with all their simple speaking of shit yeah the the ipad the iphone even even a you know like a, te a technological moron like myself can work with that can work with that and i can actually make good money on the internet using simple apple products yeah because that I, was something I was working to, uh, talking about the power of the internet. Uh, I saw you were doing your first webinar. Yeah. You've recorded just, that. that. That's why you were in Holland, right? Just yesterday. Yeah. I did. With uh, this really cool guy. This uh, he, he actually did a, a videotape for me in in. Uh, I think Ber he's our photographer. Berlin. He's our photographer. He's our photographer. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. This guy's great. Yeah, Shout he's out. awesome. Shout yeah. out to Maarten Schut. Yes. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Excellent, excellent uh, 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 stuff that mm. he does. So I was very pleased with the uh, videotape he did of baby crawling. I'm really into this crawling vestibular reset. Mm. It helps you restore your movement patterns. Oh. You just basically do the stuff you did that any baby would do, mm -hmm. like human development as mm -hmm. you go through the different stages. Yeah. And what it does is resets the brain. Because, you know, people pretty much sit all day long. Yeah. And they lose their ability to do simple movements. Just ask your mother or father to get down and on the floor and back up. For a lot of people, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Or ask any senior citizen over 70. They can't get down and up. What happens to them? They just lost the skill of doing it. Yeah. But what if you were to get down to the floor and get up all the time as a regular part of your day, every day? What if you get down to the floor and crawl around like a baby and roll? You keep those youthful movement patterns and you keep your brain sharp because you restore that part of the brain that tells you where you are in space. And you basically restore that part of the brain that tells you how to move, these movement-based skills. Mm -hmm. So I do that stuff every day. 
And that's what the webinar was about. That was uh, well, baby crawling. It, it was actually this first one was uh, that that's what uh, the photographer shot mm -hmm. in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, this webinar yesterday that he shot was based on uh, recoveryability. Oh. The probably the least understood aspect of training. We talked about it a little bit. A today little, yeah. With the callus analogy, you know, training all the time and not giving yourself. And I gave tips on how you could increase your ability to recover from training hmm. and from working out. That's got a, got a little sneak about. preview for us there. What's a, what's a, a good way to do that? Well, number one is just rest between workouts. Just right. don't try to train every day. No. You, know, you, you can do something time? every day. Just don't make it hard every day. Mm -hmm. Some of the best uh, jiu-jitsu guys in the world only train a couple of times a week. You actually have a brown belt mm -hmm. at uh, Fleischer. Uh, what's the name of your school? What is it? Carson Gracie Amsterdam. Carson Gracie Amsterdam. There is a brown belt there that is the current world champion. The best in the world. Hmm. That's amazing. I mean, think of how many brown belts in jiu-jitsu. The guy trains twice a week. But Desmond, he's like Master Stu, right? Master Stu. Master Stu Yeah, I know him from competition. Yeah, yeah. the guy trains two times, he, two times a week. Yeah. Which shows you that less can be more. It's not how much you do, it's the quality of what you do. Yeah. So obviously, he has found the power of recovery. Hmm. Even Hoyler Gracie, four-time world Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion, maybe five, he certainly has won so many titles. He was a four-time Abu Dhabi world submission wrestling champ. Mm -hmm. Like, what a resume, right? Yeah. He told me that he never trained hard more than twice a week, Yeah. and that most of the time he would just either train really easy or just drill the moves. But he would go really hard twice a week. Yeah, it's intensity. I can tell you so many guys that follow this. Mm. And then there are other guys that are like phenoms, like Frankie Edgar, that he doesn't even believe in overtraining. He just drives himself every day. Yeah. But most people can't do that. There was just an article written by Michael Bisping. He says, I'll never overtrain again. He mentioned that uh, he was called up in short notice to this last UFC fight where he mm. won. And he said that he didn't do his normal eight-week camp. And he didn't do anything special for his preparation, you know? And never he said fought he, better. He said he never fought better. He felt wonderful. He said, I'm not doing any more eight-week camps or all this crazy training. He says, I just felt so good. He won the fight. Mm -hmm. And then you have the opposite where you get like a Frankie Edgar guy. I call it the Dan Gable syndrome. You know who Dan Gable was? Greatest American wrestler mm -hmm. that ever lived. Maybe one of the best wrestlers ever walked the planet. He went through the Munich Olympics unscored on. No wrestler has ever done that. Imagine. The best guys in the Unscored world. Unscored on meaning no one scored no a point one against him. No one scored a point. Yeah, right? I think, if, would Michael think the same if we'd have lost? Pardon? If Michael Bisping would have lost, what would then the reaction be? Like, well, probably everyone like, would say, oh, well, fuck, I didn't train. You know, I need my eight-way training. No, but train. I, I can relate to this because um, I do a little weightlifting as well, and I've set personal records on deadlifts after not training for a week. Yeah, me too. I've done the same thing. Yeah, and I'm like, what the hell is this? This yeah, is this you is... recovered at a exactly. high level. Your body finally had a chance to heal and recover. Very noticeable. And so Frankie Edgar trains really hard all the time. Uh, the reason I mentioned Dan Gable, we have this term called the Dan Gable syndrome. He was absolutely driven to excel. This guy, when he won the NCAA wrestling championships, right? Mm. And after he went off the mat and got his medal, he put on a sweatsuit and went out and ran 12 miles. <laughs> I mean, the guy was absolutely, yeah, like crazy. <laughs> you do and he believed you couldn't train enough you know but you pay a price for that you mm -hmm. know dan unfortunately has had four hip replacement surgeries two knee he's like about a year older than me and the poor guy can barely walk yeah. you pay a heavy price 
You know, so for every Frankie Ecker or every Dan Gable, you have 10,000 dudes that tried that, that crashed, burned, died, you never hear about because they just got so overtrained, so injured, so sick, they, they just couldn't keep it up. Yeah, is it because they really, you know, just ran through their body and used it too much or is it, could it, uh, I mean, it's not the amount of effort they put it through, it's uh, probably that they put it through effort in the wrong way. Well, it's both. You know, both. there, there, right, is, there a, is a limit to the amount of a, effort. There, there's a, it's called a point of diminishing returns. All right. What is that point? It's probably different for every person. Mm -hmm. Your work capacity is different than mine, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, and someone else might have an unbelievable work capacity and other people's not. It's pretty much genetic. Mm -hmm. You know, a mm -hmm. lot of it is, of course, mental too. But you only have but so much what they call nerve energy. And if you are always training on the nerve and always pushing yourself, pushing yourself, you use up, the, you only have a certain set of finite physical properties, so much fi a finite amount of energy that your body can produce. Mm -hmm. You have to know what that is. Yeah. You know, like the great, like the ancient philosophers, you know, know thyself is the, like the number one rule. You got to know yourself. And the same thing with diet or anything. But the problem is so many guys are pushing that envelope. My philosophy is this. Why try to see how much exercise your body can stand why not see what the minimal amount is to still give you good results or yeah. even superior results mm. it's like the minimum dose you know why do you know like a huge amount of thc when just a little bit will give you that nice little buzz it's nice yeah? enough yeah. people are always pushing the envelope yeah. seeing how much they can do but why it's kind of like the crossfit mentality yeah. why do that to yourself because there is a big price to be paid you do use up your finite physical resources and you know eventually you end up paying the price when yeah. you get older mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. joint wear and tear you know uh, trauma to the uh, to the connective tissue and you know yeah. by the you, time you get over 50 you don't see too many guys my age still on the yeah, I, I actually no. took the advice from my uh, Ido Portal in a movie where uh, I saw it on YouTube where he actually explains like training BJJ like eight times a week or twice a day you know, BJJ is good for your health and it's mm. overall very mm. good for your body. But training it too much won't won't be very healthy for your joints and for your knees and stuff. So it's a huge strain. After, yeah, after that I was thinking about it. Yeah, you know, you don't want to train twice a day anymore if you don't compete anymore. Why don't you just do some fitness and strength, strength and conditioning twice a week? Do BJJ twice, three times a week, and do some yoga. You'll be fine. You know? You'll be fine. I, I you need to get that dose response you know the exercise dose response mm. it's like okay we know that alcohol is a deadly poison mm -hmm. wine beer right we know that it, alcohol will you know very deadly however we also know that in small doses it can be quite a good tonic and they've been shown over and over again that people that drink a little bit mm -hmm. it's very good for the health mm -hmm. might even increase your lifespan exercise is the same way a certain amount of dose is quite good for you, mm -hmm. but it doesn't follow that a lot of it is better. Yeah. And you're not going to get better results. You're just going to get injured. At, the, at best, you're just not going to make any progress. You're just going to stay the same. Yeah. Did you ever hear of uh, Tim Ferriss' Occam Protocol? The what? The uh, Tim Ferriss. You know who Tim Ferriss is? Oh, do you mean the like the four hour body? Yeah. Uh, the four hour uh, body. Yeah. He yeah. had a he had a protocol. He called it Occam's Protocol from Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is oh, a philosophical yeah, thing. Yeah, sure, you know, the sure. simple solution is usually the right one or something, uh, something along like those that. lines. Yeah, I'm probably mutilating it. Um, but uh, he had a protocol where he said you just do two trainings a week and every if you 
cannot increase your weight the next training by at least 10%, you go home and you rest until, and then you go at it again because you probably didn't rest enough. And he only gave you two exercises, but uh, his thing was time under tension. He made you do the, the, the concentric and the eccentric seven seconds or something. So you generated a huge amount of time under tension, but then he gave you rest. So just the basic four pilers, deadlift. Yeah, it was very bench, similar what? to the Jonesian philosophies, you know, the high intensity training philosophy by yeah. Dr. Uh, Alan Darden and Dr. John. Uh, a great bodybuilder that actually put this to the test was the uh, Mike Menser. Hmm. Mike Menser and his heavy duty and his high intensity training protocols. Yeah, you know he uh, he he won second to Arnold in the uh, the uh, Mister Universe competition, mm -hmm. and uh, many people thought that Mike actually beat Arnold, but it was a lot of politics. But Arnold was working out about twenty six hours per week. Hmm. Mike was working out ninety minutes a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his physique rivaled Arnold. On about one tenth the time, so I mean, or whatever ninety is to twenty six hours. So, but the point is that you can get superior results with very little time, whether it be jujitsu, mm -hmm. martial arts, mm -hmm. weight training. Rather than go and see how much you can stand, why not see how little you can do and still get good results? Maybe start with a couple times a week and then cut it back. Yeah, or I even better, start with twice a week, and if you're not getting results, add an extra day and see what happens. Mm -hmm. If you get worse results, go back to twice. And that's a big part of uh, getting to know yourself that a lot of people neglect. Um, my personal trainer really hammered down on write everything down, everything down, write down. Keep when, yeah, just you need to know if you had two days of rest. If you do not increase on your lift, that that is information. You need to start looking at it that way. Because if you ask me what's your optimal amount of rest, you know, I don't fucking know. That it's completely that's different for me for you. Mm. You need to write it down. And you need to experiment. It's pretty individual. This. Yeah, and people always want the cookie cutter answer, but there's a lot of work in getting those. You know, what's best for me? Well, that kind of depends, and we need to figure that out by just testing, writing down. One one good way is to measure your morning resting heart rate in bed every morning when you first wake up. Oh, right. you have to find out what that average is. Mm. We're assuming you're not already overtrained. <laughs> if you're already overtrained, you might want to take a couple of days off. Yeah. You know, so your body can heal. Yeah. But as long as you're not suffering overtraining symptoms of any type. Is there a standard? What should it be? Your resting heart rate? Or is uh, that no, individual no, it's, as well? It's, it's individual. All right. But once you find out your average, let's say you take it seven days in a row. I usually use an iPhone. Mm -hmm. There's an app, instant heart rate. Yeah. You just put your finger in the camera lens. Oh. But how, how real does that work? Because... Oh, I've, I have, I've monitored I it physically and done the yeah. Uh, yes, iPhone. I think it's accurate I have it on my iPhone, but I wasn't convinced it was really. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it works but, uh, because it was so high every time. This must be bullshit. <laughs> yeah. This must be bullshit. <laughs> I, I've tested it many times on right, all cool. different. It's, it works, all but right. uh, at any rate, you find find out your average. Mm. Any morning that you wake up, and it's five beats or more above your average, then you should not train that day. You're under stress. You have not healed from the previous workout. Oh, wow. It's a very simple way to do it. Yeah, or you should eliminate other stress factors. Because well, if you have a t if you had a crappy day at the office the day before, well, that might it, be influencing your heart rate as well, right? Yes, but that also influences your physicality. So if you had a big fight with your significant other, let's mm. say your girlfriend and your wife, mm. hopefully not both your at the same time, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that could be a lot of strength. <laughs> there have been days like that. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? A lot, very stressful. Your heart rate is elevated, yes. but that also affects you physically. Perhaps you shouldn't work out that day. Mm -hmm. This idea of using training to relieve stress 
all you do is create more stress in the end. Yeah. Oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. I got to go to the gym and work out and get rid of my stress. Mm. But it doesn't work that way. You're only adding to it. All they do is add even more stress to the stress they already had. Yeah. They need Mm. a different type of release than the physical. But five or beats more generally means that you should kick back and take it easy. Mm. Now, here's the proviso. You should do this first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. If you need to take uh, a whiz, you know, go to the toilet, but lay back down for five minutes. Oh. Okay. Do not think about your day's activities. That's Don't start thinking about martial arts. Don't think about working out. Don't think about all the 15 things you have to do on your to-do list that day. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. That'll just you, raise it. You just got to go into like a really relaxed state, control your breathing, then you get your true resting heart rate. Mm. But I've made the mistake of like thinking about training jujitsu or something. Yeah. But boom, it's like elevated, man. Yeah, because that's a neurological pathway that just fires up, that it puts you into warrior mode immediately. It puts you into warrior mode immediately. So you got to have use mental, you know, uh, mental discipline, yeah. and not allow yourself to start thinking about all this stuff. But it's a real good way to basically monitor what's going on. Mm. Now I have violated that heart rate principle, whereas I would feel great and really energetic in every other way even though I had an elevated heart rate. Mm-hmm. So maybe I would work out that day because I just felt so good. So I also use what we call the 10-minute rule. Mm. Anytime I start training, if I don't feel better within 10 minutes, let's say I'm not sure, mm-hmm. my heart rate's fine, but I feel kind of crappy, I don't have a lot of energy, I'll go 10 minutes, and if I don't feel better within 10 minutes, I stop. That's it. I just quit right mm-hmm. then and there. It could be for jujitsu, for running. If I don't immediately start to feel better and my energy rise, then I know that I really need to rest oh. that day. And what about second the, wind? The ten-minute rule. A uh, second uh, wind is a is a oxygen. Uh, yeah, but uh, to phenomenon. me, it describes. Uh, every, I know these trainings that you talk about. You go into your Muay Thai class and you're oh, you're not really feeling it. Yeah, and the first shit, 10, man, 15 like minutes crap. are hard, but then after a while you get started and you're so glad you went. But there's this there's this first peak where you your body reacts and your heart goes irregular and your breathing is hard, and then you get into this regulating and then it's easy. I think it's more emotional. I think a lot of times you just go in, wow. you're just kind of down, you know, like you just just so, being a bitch. Yeah, just being a little bitch. You know? The inner bitch. You just need to, to get you. sounds like me. Get mm. bitch slapped upside the head, and now all of a sudden you feel better. Yeah. Now a lot of it, a lot of times, I think, uh, you know, you kind of it's easy to get in a low grade depression sometimes in this modern world. You know, we got the artificial light, yeah. and you've been sitting in that damn chair staring at the computer screen. That's enough to make anybody depressed, right? Yeah. And you know, you've, you just the act of sitting passively online which many of us make our living from, mm-hmm. that is really draining from an emotional, energetic point of view. Yep. And I, I can't tell you how many times in the morning I literally have to tear myself away from my iPad, force myself to get up off my lazy ass and get outside. And the minute I do, it's like, oh my God, I feel so much more energetic. Mm-hmm. And within a few minutes of walking and breathing, I start feeling great. Yeah. So you can't always go by how you feel mm-hmm. because a lot of times your feelings can be you know, regulated by like whatever boring activity you might be doing yeah. or whatever. But I do use the 10-minute rule because there have been times I've torn myself away. I get out there, I move for 10 minutes, and I still feel shitty. Mm-hmm. Then I know, uh, I better rest today, It's hard man. to do that. It's hard to go like, no, not today. Ego starts kicking in and like, no, 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 you have to work out. And, you know, there's always a little doubt. Aren't I, you know, 
picking the easy way because I wasn't feeling like training anyway. Yeah. So that well, might be there a little. We all have that critical voice in the head. Mm. I call it the mother, like the evil mother. The you guys, evil mother. The like, stepmom. Do, do you guys get the uh, the Simpsons? Yeah. Right? <laughs> of course. The you early know, days. You yeah. know Principal Skinner? Yes. And his mother? That's the mother. Uh, the critical mother. Seymour! You know, yeah. she's always... Why haven't you? Yeah, she's always shaming this guy. He's shame-based. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have this inner conversation that they're not even aware of. In their head, it came from parents, relatives, maybe mm. grandparents, maybe a, a misguided but well-meaning clergyman. It could have been teachers. Somehow you get the inner critic that's always nag, nag, mm. nag. No matter what you do, you get that little critical voice. A lot, a lot of, I mean, this is it's especially pretty, it's especially pretty uh, manifested in your younger years. When manifests uh, a lot in the younger years. Mm. Eight years old or something could be anything. Like a teacher who just gives you a lot of you know, crap like, about you yeah. know basically putting putting you down, and you get this little inner voice. Ah, oh, don't be a little bitch. Come on, drive yourself, push yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't forget that voice because usually yeah. that voice is the wrong voice. That's all part of the ego manifestation. Mm -hmm. It's not really you. It doesn't belong there. The sad thing is a lot of people that aren't even aware that they're having these inner conversations mm -hmm. and they can't understand why they're so desperately unhappy. Yeah. But in reality, their critic, their inner critic is just so harsh and always picking on them. And even when they have a victory or even when they do something really fine or really good, a lot of times they still get that thing going on in there. Mm -hmm. It's a cause of a lot of misery and becoming aware of that. You got to kill that person. You got you got you got to you got to execute. Wow, yeah. You got to execute that voice. That is the harsh ego mind that is just driving you into oblivion. We talked about this a lot as well. We it took me a long time to. Yeah. Well, I, about I, what age was that acceptable for you? Because this is exactly the thing we're struggling with right now. It took me to my fifties, dude. That takes a long. Wow. Yeah. But I could have been earlier, maybe if I had been a little bit more consciously aware of this thing. Mm -hmm. wow. But I just became more and more consciously aware of this whole concept of like who is this person telling me all these awful things about myself it's such an energy drain it's an energy drain and it's so endemic in modern society mm. and you know you hear some people talk about it but it's a very real phenomenon mm. but you don't need to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything you just have to become you know once again awareness is the first step to correction in, in any yeah. in anything yeah. and once you're aware that you do have these little negative inner conversations going on you got to kill it, man, because yeah. it, it, it's just going to make your life miserable. And the sooner you get rid of it and kill it, and you never really kill it because it always kind of nags back in it there. Can get back in there if you're yeah. not careful. Yeah. Even once you've uh, like sort of, uh, you know, looking looking at what you've done, you've made a name for yourself. I mean, you're an authority on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and strength and conditioning training. And I mean, that must at least give some sort of, you know, self-confidence on that particular topic that the doubt sort of, I mean, that's my hope. If I make enough, you know, if I get enough experience, that doubt goes away because I know I am master of my expertise, something like that. That, yeah, that doesn't happen. I, I mean, for sure. I feel pretty right. confident in that's certain good. subjects, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I still have my fears sometimes. You know, I still before seminars, I get really nervous and really you know, keyed up. Yeah, yeah. I was but, hoping that would go away. But I'm almost glad. You know, public speaking still mm. scary. But uh, yeah. you know, you transcend. You use the fear to fuel you, to help you uh, perform. Yeah, fear is not a bad thing. Like, no, you know, I mean, basically, it's the fear of not being accepted or being rejected, or people, you know 
thinking badly of you. I mean, everyone wants to be liked. Yeah, can I ask a question about that? For yeah. example, we talked about the astrology thing. Does that get underneath your skin at all? Or are you like, nah? I could imagine being oh, in the same position. About, that, about yeah, the that negative would, comments? Yeah, that might have gotten to me. Uh, it hurts my feelings a little bit. A little, know, yeah. Because I want people to like me. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm not immune to that. No. You, know, I, you know, no one likes to be criticized or thought poorly of or people belittling you. Uh, especially when they don't even know you. Mm. They heard one little tiny slice of a conversation. They don't even have a clue about what you really stand for or who you really are. And then they make a judgment. Yeah, that bothers me. Yeah, I'll be imagine. honest, it does. Uh, that's one reason why I try not to read that stuff, you know. Yeah. And I don't even watch my own videos. I try to turn off the comments because... Some people, no matter how good it is or the information, they're still going to just... Yeah, it, but it's always the same. We had a guy here who was a coach in Holland, Remco Klaas, and he had a great expression on this. No matter what you do, there's always two kinds of people. People that love what you do and people that hate what you do. Pretty if much. You, if you change your behavior, you're going to have two kinds of people. It's people that love what you do and people that hate what you do. Hate what you do. There's always going to be guys that there's don't like what you do. always going to be guys. But the thing that amazes me is... Who even writes this stuff? <laughs> well, that's, that's the guy with the hand on the one hand on his corner, the other one on the keyboard, typing right? with the nose. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, man, you have nothing better to do with your time. I mean, sometimes do, that do, is do, the do, case. Yes. Do you make comments in articles, or I no, never hardly. have. No, no. Hardly. I have never wanted to. It's like that was twenty years ago. Who I mean, cares? Years old. I yes. mean, it's stupid, right? To, to I mean. Obviously, they have nothing better to do with it. Well, time. yes and no, because when I release an article... And no I've, one really even cares about what they're saying. They're just like some weird anonymous guy that, you know... We're on time, almost. Almost out of time. Oh, yeah. the, at what time do we have to no. cut it off? No, I mean, uh, the video is almost on time. Whoa. Oh, we've... So we got two hours and 14 minutes. So, wow, we really ate up uh, yeah, so the I'm batteries just, on just your... I'm to you, stuff. like... All right, that Stop was a time to wrap questions. it up, huh? I, yeah, he wants to tighten it up. All right, sorry. Um, can I ask? Can we touch one more yeah, topic? Yeah, wait, yeah. yeah. By the way, it, I've had a great time. Go, with you. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you. You guys have some great energy. Man. You have to go. You have to go. Thank you. Um, I don't well, feel so weird being around you. guys. <laughs> well, that's good, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's because good. we're weirdos as well. Yeah, well, well, birds of a feather. Yeah, man. well, yeah. we'll let the internet decide what they think. Mm. <laughs> yeah, be gentle. It's, be gentle, please. Yes. Um, one of the questions I had um, is that uh, I know a lot of guys that um, are trying to make a business out of personal training, strength and conditioning trainers, yeah. uh, people that help with nutrition, help with the body, uh, with the movement. Um, those are guys that are usually really passionate about what they do. They, re they, they come from a sport background. They want to help other people become more fit and uh, energetic. But they're probably, they're usually horrible at business. At uh, putting that, up a very good business, a solid business around being a personal trainer and stuff like that. And I heard you talk about, um, well, for example, the webinars you do and you make uh, you make money doing this successfully. Do you have any tips for people that want to make a living out of this and are struggling with that? Well, that, that was me in the beginning. You know, I mm. was classically trained as a health and physical education teacher. Okay. I was an educator. Mm -hmm. I worked in the public school system. I coached wrestling and American football, gridiron football. Mm -hmm. And I knew nothing about business. I worked as a fitness director after I left teaching, but I wasn't really doing the business. The owner of the club was doing the business. I was merely the director of his fitness uh, yeah. center. When I finally opened up my own gym, I found myself woefully unprepared for business. Mm. So... My ex-wife actually took a business course. 
and we learned the hard way about business, basically trial and error. When I finally broke off and started doing my own online training, I already had a, a pretty good handle on personal training. Mm -hmm. The main thing is for the trainers out there, don't be afraid to ask for the money. There yeah. seems to be this big reluctance or fear to talk about money with your clients. Yeah. That should be one of the first things you discuss and be upfront. What's an average rate in America for a good personal trainer? Oh, it just depends where. I mean, obviously in New York City, yes. I'll, I'll charge 250 to $300 an hour. Wow. Where LA, maybe the same thing. Mm. Whereas if I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> something, yeah. it might be $100 or $125, yes. you know. Yeah, so uh, usually that. when I'm in Europe, I charge 150 euros, mm. you know, because the economy is a little bit different here, you know, but it's a sliding scale. Yeah. You know, if I'm in some place where the guy's just like when I was in Croatia, $75 is a fortune to those people. Yeah. 75 euros. Yeah. Well, in Holland, I think 150 uh, is, is, is high it? is high end, but uh, I think a very good personal trainer can easily ask 100 euros. Here's the problem, though. You see, if you underprice yourself, you people automatically assume you don't know what you're doing. They mm. have a low opinion of you because, oh, well, you know, you, yeah. you budget mindset, you know, you attract a budget kind of person. But if you overprice yourself, you price yourself out of the competition. Mm -hmm. I would recommend to any new trainers out there that you just call up a whole bunch of people as an anonymous client. Maybe have your girlfriend or somebody do it. And just call like 10 different trainers. Oh, competition. Call the competition. Call the competition ah, and ask hmm. what they charge for one-on-one -on -one sessions or, you know, different gyms. And then price yourself somewhere in the middle. Isn't that not, called a fishing expedition? Not too low. Uh, but it's a good thing. It's, yeah. a re it's research. Yeah. My girlfriend did that. When I first do, started doing online personal training, I had no idea what to charge. She actually enrolled in four different online personal training courses. We paid for the information she sounds like uh, quite the entrepreneur she is really amazing Teresa but anyway we had a pretty good handle on what to charge because we actually investigated and saw what others are doing so we try to put ourselves somewhere in the middle not too mm. high but obviously you don't want to undervalue yourself either and All right. that, that way you can figure out cool you have to come back someday Steve it's very valuable. Too, much, yeah. Yeah. too much to share um, yeah man Thanks for being here. Hey, um, thank you. I really appreciate the chance to get the, the word out. And to be number 50. That's, that's yeah, this number is, 50. Be proud, number man. 50. Be proud. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Congratulations, gentlemen. That's, that's a real... Uh, that's a milestone. That's yeah. a milestone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy with you as, uh, as the guest. 50th oh, anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So for the listeners, um, if you're into supplements and uh, you like the honest supplements that you're probably familiar with if you listen to Joe Rogan... Um, We sell them at Nutrofit.com. We're the official distributor, actually. And, uh, in Europe? Yeah, in Europe. So we uh, we sell honest supplements, bulletproof, natural stacks. So go to Nutrofit.com and uh, get yourself served. Um, yeah, there's just one more thing. Like um, I know Steve from Joe Rogan, so that's how we entered this podcast. So I'm going to finish this podcast like Joe would do. It's like, you, sir, are a bad motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to say that. Thank you, Joe Rogan. Thank you, Steve.